Welcome to Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone. This week, you are going to get a really, really fun episode. But before I get you there, I am going to go through really quickly and tell you what I listened to and the retweets and the tweet quotes from last week's episode, Megadeth's The Sick, The Dying, and The Dead. So, what did Uncle Steve listen to this week? I'm glad you asked, because... A lot of people probably think, you know, Uncle Steve, he just doesn't listen to enough Iron Maiden. Well, this week, I really, I really, really, really listened to some Iron Maiden. Here's what I listened to. See if you can keep up. The self-titled Iron Maiden, Killers, The Number of the Beast, Peace of Mind, Power Slave, Somewhere in Time, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, No Prayer for the Dying, Fear of the Dark, the X Factor, Virtual Eleven, Brave New World, Dance of Death, A Matter of Life and Death, The Final Frontier, The Book of Souls, and Senjutsu. And I listened to them in chronological order from start to finish. It's something I've never done before. I have now. But when I got done with Senjutsu and Hell on Earth was fading out, for like way too long. I said, you know what? I'll listen to the first couple of tracks again, and then I'll listen to something else. But the first two tracks ended up becoming the entire album. And then I just said, you know what? I'm going to listen to the entire catalog again, but I'm going to go backwards because now I've started with Senjutsu. So I also listened to the book of souls, the final frontier, a matter of life and death, dance of death, brave new world, virtual 11, the X factor and fear of the dark. I listened to all of those a second time. So every album by Iron Maiden. And you would imagine, gosh, listening to that much Iron Maiden, because those albums are long. You don't have time to listen to anything else musically. Well, I did listen to one other album before I listened to any of the Iron Maiden this week. You might wonder what it is. But if you know Uncle Steve, you know that that other album was Megadeth's The Sick, The Dying, and The Dead. After that, I decided, you know what, what else can I, what do I want to listen to? You know, I was like, I want to listen to some Iron Maiden. I put some Iron Maiden on and it really helped me uh, with this week's episode. I will say that too. I wasn't doing it for that reason. But that's all the music I listened to this week. Given that I listened to that much music all week, I didn't listen to any podcast, not one. I didn't even listen to my own podcast. Uh, so let's get to the retweets and the tweet tropes really quickly here, because I've got a doozy of an episode for you. The retweets go as follows. His Royal Dudeness, Dave in the USA. Willie Valiverta in Finland. My buddy, anti-hero Anthony. David Laird, the Scouser in Liverpool, England. Jesse, the delivery guy in Illinois. The official translator and historian and administrator of the podcast, Kirsty in Perth, Australia. Ron White, Ron, Ron Washington. What am I thinking here? Ron Kramer in Washington. That's what it was. And Gen Maritani, the official detention teacher in Chiba, Japan. Now, the following Quitros were also in on this episode. First off was 
The Honorable Counselor, Sir Richard Holmes of the Ulster Unionist Party in Garvaugh, Northern Ireland. The only official politician of Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone. If anyone else claims to be, accept no imitations. Even though I'm not a big fan of what he said, he said it won't be my album of the year, but the show is as entertaining as always. So I liked the second part, but not the first part. So the next one was the official detention teacher, Gen Marutani, in Chiba, Japan. My notes, <laughs> I'm, where's the B? The B and the N are right next to each other. So I wrote in China, Japan, <laughs> but I said it right. I just typed it wrong. He said, great reviews done by Uncle Steve and Ron Kramer. I totally agree with Ron's opinion on Kiko. He is not only technical, but also very melodic like Marty. I think Chris Broderick was more technical than Kiko, but Kiko plays really interesting phrases, and I really like that. Kiko is fantastic, I agree. Future Squash 767 on YouTube said, Love the album, not big on the title track or the Sammy Hagar song, but every other track kicks ass. Interested to hear what Uncle Steve thinks of this one. Also, I've posted this meme before and I'll do it again. It's a meme of me and the album locking arms like we're just going to be step and step and we're going to go forward and conquer the world. And that's what we're doing so far. <laughs> very, very small portion of it. Ian White in Solly Hole, West Midlands said... Hey, Uncle Steve, really got into this album this year. Kiko Loreo riffs and solos are fantastic. He's my new guitar hero, and I'm trying to get my fingers around his killer licks. Well, good luck with that, Ian. Next up is I Remember Now, the Queensryche podcast. And they said, Stevie's obsession gets its own show. Check it out. And you all knew it was coming anyway, though. So, And lastly, Asylum Tales from the Devereaux Diary says, Miraculously, the podcast is somehow longer than the album, which is saying something. So that's it, guys. I'm going to let you get right into this episode. I'm going to warn you. I haven't warned anybody in a while about having a stiff drink, having a seat, having a toilet nearby, any of those things. But you might want to have that for this one because there are some pretty... Um, because we not only rank the Iron Maiden epics, we also rank the... Five least best. And in some of the best and least best, there are some really strong opinions expressed by myself and this week's uh, guest. So enjoy. All right, welcome to Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone. You're going to really be glad you joined in on this one because we are going to be ranking some Iron Maiden songs. Some, uh, We're going to rank epic Iron Maiden songs. And to do that with me, you, have to, you can't just have a regular old person on here. You have to have someone that can really throw some opinions down. And if you're on Twitter, or if you've listened to my podcast, all the episodes, you know that I've got one guy that's had a lot of just crazy opinions, and he's not shy about it in any way. So on the line with me, all the way down in South Africa, I have the author 
of 666 songs to make you bang your head until you die. I think you could have made that title longer. (laughs) Bruno McDonald, how are you, sir? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for having me back on the show, especially after I annoyed Kirsty so much last time. I really appreciate it. Uh, she's she's not too bothered. She 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 understands the mentality of being really honest about things and sharing your honest opinions, and I know she appreciates that. So, yeah, I'm I'm looking for. I I think um, on today's show, li- listening to me and probably listening to you as well, I think we're going to be able to hear Kirsty's eyes rolling all the way from Australia. <laughs> Well, I actually have, I actually asked her to make a list also. So I haven't looked at it yet. I I had her send it. I said, I don't want to look at it until we start recording this. So until we actually start naming songs, I'm not going to pull her list up. But she she did a list as well. And I think it's going to be really cool. We're going to, we're going to talk about the epic. We're going to rank the top 11 epic songs by Iron Maiden. And when we started discussing this, cause we had to go back and forth a little bit to figure out what our topic was going to be. And when we, when we got to this, you said, well, Phantom of the Opera is a seven minute song. And that was the first Iron Maiden epic. So why don't we use that as a barometer, which I thought was, Hey, that works. You got to figure something. We had to figure something out and just figuring out what an epic song is. And I asked you the other day, I said, we need to describe it. And how would you describe what an epic Iron Maiden song is. How would I describe how, uh, well, you could argue that every Iron Maiden song is epic. And I know that you particularly like it, Uncle Steve, when uh, when people say every Iron Maiden song is fantastic. There are no <laughs> bad songs. None. Dark. There are no bad songs on <laughs> on, uh, on Prayer for the Dying. Like, yeah. you, you, that, that's your favorite kind of response. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's me. Um, that's what I say. And, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to say um, you, you have to, you have, you do have to narrow it a bit. And there's really, there's no shortage of epic songs in the Iron Maiden catalog. Mm-hmm. There's songs that tell a story. There's songs that stir the heart. And there's songs with so many guitar solos that you could play Hangar 18 t- twice, <laughs> and they still wouldn't have finished. Yeah. Uh, but it's we'll, today we're going to try and figure out which ones are the best. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I went this past week and I listened. I was telling you earlier, I listened to the entire catalog. I went all the way, and so I heard a lot of these songs that you know, I hadn't heard in a little while. And sitting, I will say this: as I was kind of figuring out which songs I want to do, I pulled them up on YouTube, and I would have the lyrics, like a lyric video, I guess. And I'll be honest, some of these songs. I have not sang the lyrics right ever once in my life. Because <laughs> I was like, wow, that's what they're saying there? I haven't been saying that at all. It's been but but you know, you start reading through the lyrics, and Iron Maiden's lyrics are amazing in so many of these songs. The storytelling in so many of these songs is just as an author, I'm sure that maybe you feel differently, but as just a Average guy, I just think their lyric writing is fantastic. And um, what do you, how do, like, when you look at their lyric writing as someone who writes books, what, what do you think of them? I think um, it's, you've got, you've got a very interesting variety. And I think um, one of my criticisms of Maiden would be 
when they're so keen to tell a story that um, that it's kind of like cramming in as many facts as possible. Okay. And I think sometimes that robs a little bit of the lyricism. And sure. uh, one, one track, which I kind of think is an interesting example of where they almost do that, but they pull it back is um, Empire of the Clouds, okay. because Bruce is very consciously telling a story and and at one point it, it, it sounds like he's reading stuff from a book but yeah. he still manages to make it quite lyrical and poetic um whereas there's a couple of other songs and without naming it i'm pretty sure you can i already know which one you're talking, talking about, about. <laughs> uh, yeah you, you know which one i'm talking about and we're yes. definitely going to be talking about it later on yeah. where where in in a bid to cram in as many facts as possible all notions of poetry go completely out of the window. Yeah. So, um, but I definitely, I think uh, they're they're very ambitious, and um, and that's something that is really laudable. So, when you've got a band uh, which is which is really trying to push the envelope in terms of what heavy metal can express, mm -hmm. then it's inevitable that sometimes they're going to trip and fall. And the interesting thing is that when they when they go down the traditional heavy metal route, and there's probably only a handful of songs in the whole catalog where they even do that, but something like um, From Here to Eternity, which I know you despise. <laughs> yeah. um, and I was listening to that the other day, and it's, it's uh, as, I, as I think I wrote to you, it's, it's an ACDC pastiche. And so if you listen to it in the, in the context of, Oh, you know, it, it's it's just a, a jumble of ACDC cliches musically and lyrically. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a it's a actually I think it's a perfectly good Iron Maiden. Sorry, it's a perfectly good heavy metal song. Yeah. But when you put it in the context of Iron Maiden, where where you're expecting everything to be a bit more sophisticated, right. it just sounds stupid. So <laughs> uh, you know, so that that doesn't interfere with my enjoyment of the song because unlike you, I actually like it. But I can. <laughs> understand why from your perspective it's really jarring because it's like if i want to listen to that stuff i'd listen to acdc yeah but i don't want to hear it from iron maiden yeah acdc does it better <laughs> so oh gosh okay so well what we'll do here we're gonna rank we'll, we're gonna do two lists and the first list we're gonna do is we're going to rank the top 11 epics of iron maiden the second list as anyone who listens to me know uh, as, as Kirsty said to me, you just have to throw in some negativity. Um, we're going to do a bottom five, uh, Iron Maiden epics. And, and I will say this, there's no shortage of songs over seven minutes to choose from as, as we both looked, I think I counted, I think we counted what 48 songs that were over seven minutes. And the crazy thing is like you go through when let's see through fear of the dark. Okay. So through the first album from the first album through the, uh, let's see, that would be seven, eight through the ninth album. There were only 10 songs that were over seven minutes in length. 10. That's from the debut to fear of the dark. So you got one, two, three, four, five, six, five songs from the two albums with blaze. <laughs> and or no i'm sorry six songs from the two albums of the blaze because i did leave one out um and from there 
you've got uh, from from the last uh, how many albums have they released now? Uh, six or seven? With uh, they got Brave New World, Dance of Death, uh, Matter of Life and Death, Final Frontier. So six albums on the last six albums, <laughs> they've got thirty two songs over seven minutes in length. So all the uh, all the cut cutting bits out to make it the most compact song they could even on something like Rhyme the Ancient Mariner is completely gone. So. It, yeah, it, I think, um, I think, uh, uh, I don't know for sure. I mean, you'd have to ask the band, but my guess is that that's because in the, in the, the, the first stage of their career, they were ta- tailoring everything to vinyl. Yeah. So I agree with that. When, um, when power slave came out, it was a big deal that that album was, 50 minutes long because um, you, we were all accustomed to albums that would last about 20 minutes per side. Yes. So the actual, the technical feat of uh, getting that much information into the grooves of a record and not sacrificing the, um, uh, I can't think of the word, but clarity is the, is the only word I can think of. Mm-hmm. Uh, fidelity, I guess. Um, if, if you were going to cram that much information into the grooves of a record, then you would probably be sacrificing some of the dynamics. Um, and so I think uh, the fact that Power Slave, even Peace of Mind is a pretty long album, but Power Slave is where they really started to push the envelope. And, yeah. uh, and yet that album sounds pretty sensational. Um, mm-hmm. So I think uh, nonetheless, they were tailoring it to the, to the limitations of vinyl. And then obviously with the CD era, oh, they yeah. no longer have to do that. And you could say, I, I guess you could say, and I, I guess this will be shown by um, the songs that we're, that we're going to discuss today. You, you could argue, well, is that a good thing? Because it allows them to express themselves artistically without having to worry about technical limitations. Or is it a bad thing? Because as you kind of just alluded to now, they're not having to, um, they're not, they're not having to cut it back to the good stuff. They can just say well we'll put everything in there sure and 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 sometimes that's to the music's benefit and sometimes you know uh, there was a there's there is a, a kind of recurring criticism of everything they've done uh i would say i'd say i started to really notice this criticism around the time of final frontier mm-hmm. that 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 iron maiden songs these days are simply too long and um I, I don't particularly buy into that because I, I think that the quality of the song is not necessarily related to its length. I think there are. I think I think it's simply is it a good song or a bad song. But I, I nonetheless I can understand it. Where if particularly if you're one of those old school Iron Maiden fans who who grew up listening to the really compact stuff that they did in the early days, and you're just right. thinking now, just get on with it. <laughs> I agree with you there. I think there's good. I think there's good on both sides of it because sometimes I, I feel like you want the songs. I always used to use the phrase, uh, it gives it time to breathe. Like it lets the song kind of wander off and kind of do whatever it's going to do. I, I feel like Steve Harris kind of does that. He's like, well, let's just see where the song goes. And he goes where it goes. And, you know, back in the day with Martin Birch, which I think of Martin Birch was also a huge part of that. Martin Birch was a kind of a guy that would, no, 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 we got to cut that out. We got to cut this out. We got to make this. You know, like you said, the limitations they had, we've got to fit as much good stuff as we can. We're not going to play that riff 
for, you know, 12 or, you know, bars. We're going to play it for six bars. You know, we'll cut everything in half, whatever they did. But I do think you lose some of that on the old stuff, but it's more compact. And so it could be a, ne- I think it could be a positive and a negative on both sides of it for, for the same reasons. And, you know, it's harder to listen to an album, uh, not because I don't like the songs, but just the time, you know, I think the new album is like 78 minutes long or 82 right. minutes long. Whereas you go back to a power slave or something like that. It's like 45 minutes long, 50 minutes long. That's a lot easier to listen to. <laughs> so, but I it appreciate, is. I appreciate I, I it think, all. Um, uh, I, I mean, if it, it, it comes down to taste, I mean, every time that you mm-hmm. and you and I have chatted, we've always agreed, you know, all, all, all art is subjective and, and music, especially so. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so if, you know, if you don't like the direction that Iron Maiden is in these days, then that's cool. You know, you've got all, you've sure. got like, a, you know, a thousand other Iron Maiden albums to listen right, to. Right. Um, but really the, I think the way that Iron Maiden are now is the way that Steve always wanted them to be. I've, I've, I was reading a quote from him, um, where he was talking about when he first, um, was, was learning to play the bass and he said, once I got going, I started trying to be a bit clever and trying to learn stuff by Chris Squire. Mm-hmm. I was heavily influenced by progressive rock like Genesis, Jethro Tull, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, Yes, and King Crimson. I used to love off-the-wall changes coming out of nowhere. So, you know, that's what he was doing in 1976. Sure. And then, you know, 2030 and now 40 years later, you know, we know we know that Iron Maiden is Steve's band. We know that nothing happens in Iron Maiden without Steve say so. And you could sure. say, well, whether you like it or not, this this is the band that that Steve Harris always envisaged Iron Maiden would be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's very you know, and there's probably one song on your list that's on my list as well that shows you, like for me. Well, why don't we just get into it? Why don't we just get into yeah, it? Yeah, sure. How about that? So uh, we got 11 songs. We're going to start. Uh, we call it, I don't know if you know who the counselor is, but we call it council's order because one time me and Matt did a list and <laughs> we, I don't know. I think we had done a couple of lists, but one of the lists we did, well, let's just go straight down. One, two, three, four. And, and uh, I have an official politician, you know, he's in Northern Ireland, the counselor. And he sent me an email. He's like, Hey, you can't do that. It takes away all the excitement of what's the number one going to be. And so he kind of got onto us about it. And I, ever since then, I was like, I totally agreed with him, but I was like, okay, we got to do it from now on. We got to always go in reverse, but, and I want to preface these, this list with this. And I, and this is something I said to you earlier. There's so many songs. There was 48 songs to choose from. Most of them are pretty good songs. So to narrow it down to 11 songs was incredibly difficult. And it means that a lot of good stuff gets left out. I I was getting ready to go to bed last night and and there was one song that immediately popped into my head that I realized, oh my gosh, I forgot to put that on my list. And then I just, I looked at my list and I thought, what would I take out of this list? And I just thought, you know what? I'm not, I just, I just turned it on. I'm not even going to do this because you can't get them all in there. You got You need about a top 25 really. So, and that's just giving me and you 25 songs to talk about. You, we'll be on here all day. <laughs> so right. Kirst- Kirsty said, Hey, whenever this episode comes out, I'll make sure I have a four hour drive to take that. I can listen to the whole thing at once. <laughs> so, 
Okay, so starting out with your number 11, Bruno, what w- what's your number 11 Iron Maiden epic? Okay, I, sh- I should say that originally I made a top 10, and then you said, no, we, if, when we're talking about epic songs, we have to go Spinal Tap on this one, so we yes. have to make it 11. Spinal so if anyone, Tap 11. Anyone out there is like, why are they choosing 11? It's like, well, because of Spinal Tap. Yeah. Um, so my, my number 11 is um, the title track of Dance of Death, Okay. Um, on paper, uh, Dance of Death is everything that I don't like about Maiden. It's sort of folk metal, and speaking as a lifelong hater of Jethro Tull, <laughs> that alone should make me not want to listen to it. It's also got Bruce doing one of his cartoon villain vocals, which isn't something that I'd usually be enthusiastic about. <laughs> but Dance of Death is a great song. I've got a quote from uh, Yannick here where he says, it's an epic thematic song. A lot of bands just can't do songs like that anymore, or more likely they just won't allow themselves the freedom to do songs like that, Mm -hmm. which is a shame. Uh, Now, we know that what Yannick says there is not actually true. I mean, St. Anger came out six months before Dance of Death, and there's lots of long songs on St. Anger. But I guess we know where he's coming from, or or maybe he just hadn't listened to some anger. Um, (laughs) If he's lucky. (laughs) Well, that's a whole other discussion. When Uh, we do our Metallica episode, we're going to disagree on that one. Um, But the other interesting thing for me uh, is that Dance of Death, the song, has over 28 million plays on Spotify, Mm. which makes it the most popular on the album by a huge margin. It's got nearly three times as many listens as Passchendaele and nearly 10 times more than Wildest Dreams, wow. even though Wildest Dreams was the single. Mm-hmm. So I guess lots of people agree that it's, that it's a great song. So that's why it's my number 11. Okay, okay. Not a bad choice either. It's definitely, it's definitely a good one. Uh, for me, <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty, I was pretty simple on the notes on this song. Uh my number 11 is the only epic song to come out of the Paul Diano era of the band. The first epic Iron Maiden song. And I thought, why not put this at number 11? This is the one that started it all for Iron Maiden. This is the song that, my personal opinion, it's the blueprint. When you hear, like when you listen to the first Iron Maiden album and you you hear Phantom of the Opera, you as a if you if you're this far along or if you're in the 1990s or, and you go back you're like oh that's like the blueprint for Iron Maiden throughout their whole career you know they've got all these short quick songs on that album and then you get to this one and it's a quick song you know fast paced but it's a long one and it tells a it's a, a you know it tells the story of the devil that's after you the 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 pace of the music which is something really that Iron Maiden does really well the music a lot of times it really fits the atmosphere and dynamics of what's going on in the song. Like when you talk about dance of death, it's, it's very, there's lots of little bit that, uh, where it does that too. Um, but I feel like the fast pace, you know, it, it's like, Hey, the devil's chasing you. He's trying to get you. He's watching for you, whatever, you know? And I just think that the, the music pace, the lyrics, it tells a story. It's a good story. And it sets a good pace for the, uh, how many say, how am I saying that? The music sets the tone for the pace that, you know, someone's chasing you. You're not going to be, 
you know, just kind of chilling out. You're 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 running and you're trying to get away, and that's what you're doing the whole song. And you know, except for the one bit, the slower bit in the middle. But I really like Phantom of the Opera. That's one of the first songs that I really loved by Iron Maiden. And I will I want to add huh? Sorry, go ahead. I wanted to I just wanted to add though, my favorite version of this song appears on Live After Death. <laughs> so go ahead. Yeah, it, it's it's it was really interesting to hear you talking about running and, and the pace of the song. Um, because if you grew up in Britain in the in the nineteen eighties as I did, then um Phantom of the Opera was used on um a very, very long running commercial for an energy drink called uh Lucasade. And they <laughs> the the um the, the commercial had uh, a, an athlete called um I think it was Daley Thompson. So someone out there will, will correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's Daley Thompson and he's getting ready to run. So at the beginning of the ad, the ad, you've got him like crouching down on a racetrack and it's That's funny. And then at the point where he takes off, you get into the So like millions of people and like an entire generation grew up listening to Iron Maiden and not not necessarily even realizing that it was Iron Maiden. Um, and it's kind of weird to think about that now that, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a commercial break on TV, yeah. you know, millions of people in like 1984 or whenever that advert came out were all listening to Iron Maiden without having any idea of what they were listening to. But yeah. everyone thought that was really cool. And, I, and again, someone will correct me if I'm wrong, but my recollection is that that commercial was so successful that it ran for a couple of years. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've heard I have heard. Uh, I remember now that you mentioned it. I do remember hearing someone talk about that before. Um but yeah, I, I think that's a great. It's the song that started it all for Iron Maiden. Like you said, when you listen, when I listen to that album, that's the song that I'm like, this, this is the Iron Maiden of the future. This is, this is you seeing what this band is going to become right off the bat, whether you knew it or not. So, I think um, I, again, uh, I've got another quote here from Steve, mm-hmm. and and he he was thinking along exactly the same lines as you. So this is this is a quote from I guess from around. Um, 84, 83, 84, and he said, Phantom is one of the best pieces I've ever written and certainly one of the most enjoyable to play. It's got all these intricate guitar lines which keep it interesting. Then there's the slow middle part which creates quite a good mood. It's also got fast, heavy parts which are really rocking and it's also got areas for crowd participation. It pretty much covers all the bases. It does. I agree. I always loved hearing that on Live After Death. And I will say there's that little bit in the song, you know, where they say, keep your distance, walk away. But the music, it's like, and that little, that little, I said, it feels eerie. It gives you kind of keep your distance, walk away. You know, it's like, it's, 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 it's well done. And in my personal opinion, it only got, they only got better. Steve only got better at writing songs like that. And, and that's a fantastic song. That's not any slide against that song either. So, all right. So that's so that's our. We've we've started, and and already you and I are agreeing on something. Uh, you know, maybe the maybe the stars are aligning. <laughs> you know what though? That might be the only thing we agree on the rest of the way. Who knows? <laughs> it could be. Uh... It's a false. It's a false hope for everybody else. Oh gosh. So, what is your number ten, Bruno? Uh, my number 10, I'm, I'm thinking this is either one which you're also going to have or at least one where you're going to say, no, I, I kind of see that as well. 
And my number 10 is The Legacy. Okay. Um, and uh, f- for me, the second half of A Matter of Life and Death is, is possibly the strongest suite of music in the whole Maiden catalogue. And this is the perfect closer. I love how heavy it is, which also applies to Lord of Light, another epic in that second half of the album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you, you, you can compare it to Hallowed Be Thy Name because they're both epic closers to classic albums and they're both told from the perspective of people who are facing death. Yeah. But the legacy is a lot bleaker lyrically than Hallowed Be Thy Name. In Hallowed, the narrator is trying to convince himself that he's going somewhere better yeah. Whereas the legacy ends with death and pain and despair, yes. um, which which does kind of you know that really fits a matter of life and death, obviously. But I mean, even, I mean, I grew up listening to Pink Floyd, and even the most miserable Pink Floyd albums end more cheerfully than that. So it's kind <laughs> of it's interesting that Iron Maiden, who we think of as quite a positive band, dis- despite you know the recurring lyrical themes. That they would end an album like that because it really does. It doesn't. It doesn't interfere with my enjoyment at all. At all because that second half of the album is so tremendous. But it really is. It ends on a downer, and there's there's no there's no light at the end of that tunnel. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I, I won't disagree with you on that song. That is, that's my favorite album by Iron Maiden, A Matter of Life and Death. And I love I, Legacy is my favorite song from that album because it's just it's it's epic. Yeah, so. I can't disagree with you at all there. So, wow, we're two for two here. Cool. Now, now's where we might, uh, now's where we might change that though. (laughs) You know, as I'm going through, um, like I said, you go through, I don't know how many songs they have exactly, including maybe 178, maybe 168 songs in total. Like I said, 48 of them are, are over seven minutes. And this is one that the first time I used to not like this song when I first heard it. When I first heard this song, which opens the album it's on, and it, it started what I would always used to refer to as like an avant-garde kind of musical section. And I just thought, wow, what happened to this band? They they just completely, they went another direction, you know, like something you wouldn't expect. So, uh so uh, the song I'm talking about, I'll just get, I'll just go straight into it, is is Satellite 15, the Final Frontier, uh, from obviously the Final Frontier, and I didn't like it at first, but then I just played it, and when the intro part, because it's it's literally almost like two different tracks, it's it, it should be two tracks, it shouldn't be one, but the Satellite 15 part, you hear Bruce and he says, "I tried to call the Earth's command. He's up in space. Desperation in my voice." I'm drifting way off course now with very little. And you can hear, like, it, it, it sounds like he's singing with panic. Like, I feel like he really sells it. He's very desperate. And the song kicks in. You find out he's stranded in space. He starts off the lyrics with that. And um, he tells what's going on. And I think that lyrically, he really sells it. Um there's even a throw to a throwback to Icarus. So he throws Icarus in there like Icarus before me or so legend goes. I like the lyrics in this song. I think it tells a good story. I like, there's a couple of lyrics that I really do. Like he says, I've lived my life to the full. I have no regrets, but I wish I could talk to my family to tell them one last goodbye. I really, really like that line. I, another line. And I feel like this doesn't only have to do with the, with the character in the song, but I feel like this has to do with Bruce done more in my life than some do in 10. 
Like, I'm just like, that's Bruce. I mean, he's an airline pilot. He's the lead singer of a band. He's a champion fencer. He's just, he, he's a, like a jack of all trades and he's good at all of them. So, um, the, the only knock I would have on this song is I think it's musically, it's pretty straightforward. It doesn't quite have the weaving musical, um, what would you call it? How do I say it? the tone of the song? Isn't set like Phantom of the Opera there, but I do think that the, it tells a really cool story and I like it a lot. So I got satellite 15, the final frontier at number 10, Bruno, what do you think about that? I, I think, I think that I'm beginning to suspect that something very weird has happened to the universe and that I've fallen into some kind oh, of no. like, <laughs> alternate dimension because I 1,000% agree with you. Oh, wow. Bruno, we, we, I, may, uh, we may be yeah. forming an alliance here. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's nuts, and um, I, I love it. And I, I agree with everything you've just said. Um, I, I particularly like that you picked out that, that lyric about the um, Done more about in my life. family. Because it's so oh, heartfelt, yeah. and it's so... Um, it, it, it really it, it puts you into the position of the of the narrator of the song, and and it's actually talking. It's it's got a it's got a kind of uh, it's a really simple line, but it's got this huge emotional clout. Sure. And I, I and normally, you know, there's lots of things that I love about Iron Maiden. There's lots of things that I listen to Iron Maiden for, yeah. but being moved emotionally in that way is not one of them. It's it's simply you know it's not something that they. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they set out to do it and they didn't achieve it. But it's it's not it's not a it's not a factor in in whether I like an Iron Maiden song or not. You know, I'm 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 if I'm going to listen to you know your wife's favorite Taylor Swift, which I do often, yeah. then I'm going to expect a kind of emotional response to to some of the stuff that she's writing because she's writing about emotions and by and large Maiden aren't. But you're a hundred percent right, and I, I completely agree with you. And I'm I'm actually you know. I'm going to spoil the suspense and say that that also features in my in my top ten in a couple of songs time. Okay. So we're completely aligned. The, the interesting thing for me is, um, judging from comments on Twitter, a lot of people seem to really hate Satellite 15. Um, yeah. And I'm not sure why, because I think it's great. And I don't know if that's because, like I said a few moments ago, I grew up listening to Pink Floyd. So songs that take four and a half minutes to get going don't seem strange right. to me. Right. Um, and I, I really like that kind of way, weird um, bass sound that's yeah. on Satellite 15. Do you know Do you know the song Hysteria by Muse? No, I don't. You should check that out sometime. It's, it's one of Muse's um, heaviest songs, and it's particular. It's and it's driven by this bass sound, which is um, very very similar to what Maiden. Okay. I mean, it, it, uh, Muse did it first. So if yeah. we're talking about who who ripped off who, then we then Maiden ripped off Muse. <laughs> Um, and the drums are great on Satellite 15. Like anyone like you and me who grew up listening to Creatures of the Night by Kits loves big booming drums. Oh yes. Um, so th those those drums are great as well. And um, Steve Harris said that the demo of Satellite 15 was by Adrian. Yes. So I don't. I actually don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you know if or if Kirsty was here whether she would tell us. I don't know who's actually playing the drums on Satellite 15. Because it think, might not, it might, it might be Adrian. I think it's a drum machine. All right. To a certain part of it, you know that what it gets that da 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 da. da. I think that I, I want to say I heard that was all programmed, but I could be wrong about that. Yeah, I mean it does it does have a kind of program quality to it, but it it's just it's fantastic, and um, 
And for the song, The Final Frontier itself, uh, like I say, I just agree with you. I find it very uplifting, even though lyrically it's talking about a desperate situation. Yes, indeed. And it, it does a, a perfect job of setting up one of Maiden's most enjoyable albums. I, I, I Like you, I've, I've spent a lot of time recently. It sounds, it sounds strange to be listening, saying this on an Iron Maiden podcast, <laughs> but you and I have spent a lot of time listening to Iron Maiden over the past right. couple of weeks. Absolutely. And that really, it, it kind of solidified what I thought about the final frontier. And, and I, I love the final frontier. And I, 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 I put that def, definitely in my top five Maiden albums and possibly even top three. It's a good album. I really like it a lot, too. You know, I, I did tell you when we started that I had asked Kirsty to make a list as well. And I forgot to pull her email up and I just got it pulled up. So I want to read real quick what she said because I asked her how she would define an epic. So I want to read that real quick. Okay. Um, sure. She said, and I think an epic maiden song is one that tells a story. It should have a different, it should have a few different sections to hold my interest. And ideally it won't feel long, which is a very good point. Right. Um, she said, uh, not all the songs here fit that description. Caught Somewhere in Time is one of my favorites of all time, but I don't think it's epic. It just happens to have gone over seven minutes. I also don't think Heaven Can Wait is epic. During the current lineup, the songs are often long for no reason, which I expect you to mention at some point. Uh, anyway, without having listened to them all this week, here's my rankings of songs over seven minutes. Oh, I'm looking at her list. Her number 11, and she has no explanation, so we'll, I'll just read them as we do ours. I'll read. I'll follow along. Um, her number 11 was If Eternity Should Fail from Book of Souls. Her number 10 uh, which we just finished was sign of the cross from the X factor. So I will leave it right there and I'll read each one of hers as we, after we read ours. So, so we are on number nine right now. And I think, um, I don't know if I'll pick something here that you don't like, but I think I'm going to shock you with my number nine. So, but you're going to go first. So what's your number nine, Bruno? My number nine, um, I, I think Matt, this is going to be, be the point where Matt just throws up his hands and says, I'm not listening to this show anymore. <laughs> uh, and my number nine is Journeyman. Uh, okay. I, I think, didn't, didn't Matt say that he would simply turn off Dance of Death before Journeyman started playing? That's probably true. I can't remember, but I, I wouldn't imagine that's not very, I could imagine him saying that. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a few Iron Maiden songs where you can hear the influence of um, Kashmir and, and in listening to um, uh, the Maiden Back catalogue like more intensely recently like Kashmir Kashmir is a recurring theme uh, I, don't, I don't want to say they stole it and obviously there's lots of bands who were who first got introduced to those kind of eastern scales through listening to Kashmir mm -hmm. so I don't, I don't know why I'm talking about Kashmir because Kashmir you can't hear the influence of Kashmir <laughs> on Jordan at all but you can definitely hear the influence of Zeppelin on mm -hmm. On Journeyman, and I, and to me, this is the closest that Iron Maiden came to sounding like Led Zeppelin with the acoustic guitar and the strings and the keyboards. And I, I find um, Dance of Death a very pleasingly varied album. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't all sound like one long song. It, like if, if you were going to criticise a matter of life and death, which I wouldn't, because I agree, I, I don't necessarily think it's the best, but. Um, it, it's definitely up there. But mm -hmm. if you were going to criticize a matter of life and death, you could say it's sort of one dimensional. It, it's just, it's very monumental and very heavy. Yes. And um, 
to me, on a matter of life and death, they, they, they trod that line and they always stayed on the right side of it. And then on Sinjutsu, which we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll discuss later on, they, they, to me, they fell on the wrong side of that line. And to me, Sinjutsu just sounds like one long song and a, a song <laughs> that I don't particularly like. But yeah. on Dance of Death, um, it, it, you've got all these different colours throughout the album. And Journeyman is obviously a very different sounding song for them. Mm-hmm. And that makes it the perfect closer for an album of that type. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't really, um, I, funny enough, I was playing that song yesterday because I, I, as I told you, I'm, I went through the Maiden catalog. I went Maiden all the way to Senjutsu. Then I listened to Senjutsu a second time. And then I just decided, you know what? Now I'm going to go backwards. So I, you know, I obviously did Book of Souls. Um, matter, uh, final frontier, matter, life and death. Well, yesterday while we were driving around in the car was dance of death was playing. And when the journeyman came on, my wife is definitely not an iron maiden fan. As I told you, as, uh, you know, she likes stuff like Taylor Swift and whatever, but as the journeyman was playing, she's like, this is a good song. I like this. Is that Bruce? Is that Bruce singing? I was like, yeah, it is. And granted it's, it's, it's very different from anything they've ever done. But after I played that, I pulled up uh, the live album, Death on the Road, and I played it on the live album so we could listen to the crowd singing along, and which was really cool too. So uh, it gave me a – it's not one of the songs I would really say I appreciate as much by them. I, I'm not in the boat that Matt is. I would I don't skip it. Like I, As I listen to it, I, I enjoy it. It's a good song. It's, it's pretty. Like when Bruce starts singing at the beginning – his voice is just so soothing. And it's just like, wow, Bruce can really just sing really pretty when he wants to. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's a good, I, I don't, I don't disagree with you there. It's a good song. Good song. Three, man, that's three. That's three, Bruno. We haven't, we haven't disagreed yet. <laughs> okay. When, when, when it goes off the rails, it's going to go off the rails. So spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, which that's and that'll be fun too. So so here's where it might go off the rails. I don't I don't think you'll disagree with the song, and 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 we had this conversation before. Any of these songs could be my number one. You know, all of the I love all of these songs. All of these songs could be. There's only a couple that I would not put at number one out of these eleven. So they're all very great songs. And so so what I have at number one might piss somebody off. What I'm about to say at number nine might piss somebody off. And there's no disregard for the song. It's an epic of epic proportions by Iron Maiden. <laughs> and I don't think you'll disagree with it. I don't, you know what? I don't know. You're, you're funny about some of that old stuff. So let's, let's just see how it goes here. My number nine, Bruno, when you think of epic Iron Maiden, this is probably the first song that's going to come to mind. Straight off of probably what was at the time their absolute peak in popularity in the mid 1980s, the longest song they ever did up until till Steve just let the reins loose from 1984's Power Slave Bruno, the rhyme of the ancient Mariner is my number nine. And when I was putting this list together, I was kind of trying to put them in order of what I like to listen to. 
And I don't really find myself wanting to listen to Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner that much. When I hear it, I enjoy it. And I'm like, man, this song's fantastic. It's got a lot of musical changes and everything. But I just it's just not one that I find myself being a favorite of. But the story that it tells and the way that it tells it is very, very well done. You know, especially you have that whole section in the middle with the creaking ship and just like you, you kind of get the feeling that it would be the ship out at sea. Everybody's dead or dying. And the ship is just kind of floating. It's there's no one else around. There's no waves. It's just floating and it's just very quiet. And, you know, so, you know, the song starts, it's got a pretty straightforward pace, you know, you, you know, and when he kills the bird of good omen, you got to change the pace there. Um, you know, when it gets to the bit, uh, there comes the Mariner, there comes the ship on the line and it changes there again. The, the creaky tone I was talking about in the middle, then you get that, um, that, that part, you know, where Steve's bass starts toward the end of that creaky bit, da, 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 where it, like, it's like, it's like, it's a positive thing. You know, he starts where he prays for their beauty and not doom. And it's like, he kind of has a change of heart. And so the whole story, the music tells the story with the lyrics and it's a fantastic song. I can't say anything about it other than it's just not my absolute favorite, but it's a fantastic song. I love it. It's my number nine. So. Yeah, I I am again. I mean, this is going to turn into like two hours of you and me agreeing with each other, but um, (laughs) I, I, when, when, when we first started to think about these lists, Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, instinctively, as you say, when you're thinking about Iron Maiden epics, Ancient Mariner is the first one you think of. And you think, well, obviously that's got to be in the top 10. Like sure. that, that just seemed like obvious to me. Right. And then as I was ranking them, it ended up falling outside of my top 10. Okay. Which doesn't, doesn't mean, sorry, top 11. Oh my yeah. God. You know, Spinal Tap 11. Yeah. Um, it actually, I, I, I ranked it at number 12 actually. So it just missed. And the reason why I didn't put it in is because, um, I think the, the version on Live After Death is actually better. Okay. And uh, it, it, I, I think it, it, it's got all those elements that you were just talking about and it, and it kind of amps them up a bit. And so when I listen to the Power Slave version, which I love, uh, the Power Slave version almost, this is going to sound like a criticism and, it, and it's, it's really, it's not criticism, but the, mm-hmm. the studio version kind of sounds like a demo for the live version. And okay. so I ended up, ranking rhyme of the ancient mariner and fear of the dark outside my top 11 for the same reasons um, and i think you 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 touched on this um in a different context when you and matt were talking about uh, like a, a month or two ago about the show that you saw on the current tour and i mm-hmm. think you were talking about maybe run to the hills or something and you were talking about y- you you've come to expect to hear those songs as you do in the live environment. Mm-hmm. So when you hear the studio version, you, your, your opinion of them is slightly changed. And so I, when, when you saying, because you, you, you were saying that they were playing run to the Hills too slow or something. Is that, it, is it, it felt, yeah, it felt like that Nico was almost playing album speed instead of what he normally played. So, yeah. Yeah. So, but, but actually when you listen to the album version, it's pretty, it's pretty fast. It is. Um, <laughs> and, um, so, so yeah, so I love Rhyme, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner and I love Fear of the Dark, but, I, but I'm so accustomed now to hearing those definitive live versions right. that that's why I put them out. It's not, it's not a 100% rule because in a couple of songs time, we're going to get to a song 
which is on Live After Death, but I, I think the studio version is also fantastic. So um, the brain surgeons out there will already know which song I'm talking about. Yeah, but, I do. <laughs> um, yeah, um, but yeah, uh, it's, um, it, it's, it's Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner is a, is a great song. And um, I've got another quote from our friend uh, Steve Harris here, because um, I, you know, I forgot to say that I, I, I contacted Steve and I said, oh, oh give me a bunch of quotes. So I can <laughs> of course you did. Because me and Steve Harris are just like really good friends. I don't know if I mentioned, mentioned that. And, um, and Steve said, it's okay to write simple pop songs but if kids went out and checked into Coleridge just because we wrote a song about it, then that's really something. And sure. he's right because, yeah. you know, you know, we were, what, like 12 or something when Power Slave came out. Mm -hmm. we, we're not going to be reading a poem, um, but we might have done after hearing Iron Maiden make a song about it. Have you ever read that? No. <laughs> you know, I, I will say I checked it out at the library once. I was at the local library. That's probably within the last 10 years. And I was like, you know what? I wonder if they actually have Rhyme of the Ancient Manor the, by him. And I found it and I brought it home and I had it for about a month. And I read maybe a couple pages and it was just the language was so old. And just it was really hard to just kind of get it to grasp and get going into. And I just I couldn't read it. I just like, ah, I don't want to read this. I think if they would do it, there's probably a modern version of it where they just change the words like from thee and thou to them and things like that. So that would be a little more interesting to me, but I think I have it all in the song anyway. I don't really need to read that. <laughs> so I agree. Okay. So my number eight, and I, I, I think this is one we're going to differ on based on something you've already said here. I think this is something we're going to differ on. This is a song from the brand that, well, not the brand new, the newest Iron Maiden album. And so over a year old at this point, and this is going to shock people. I think because this is not the song that everyone, when they think of the new album, yeah, you've probably heard people talk about the new album enough to know that there's one song that really kind of stands out from the rest of them that people, but maybe not to you because you think they all sound like one song together. But um, Hell on Earth is one that everybody talks about as being this epic song. And I love that song, I will say. But that is not the song I chose here. I chose, because it tells a great story, um, the, op the opener, the title track, Senjutsu, from Senjutsu. Um, I just, when I turned this album on, I didn't know what to expect. And when this came on, it, it really, you know, the drumming was just straight up. It was obviously starts off with the drum hits and um, the music did not sound like what I expected at all because it goes into a, um, I'm going to need some help here, Bruno. What country are they talking about here? What people are they talking about in this song? Do you know? I've got no idea. Okay. And, and, uh, you know, when I say, you know, when I said this is about to go off the rails spectacularly, all it right. just happened. Okay. Okay. So, but the song is talking about, cause it, he mentions invaders and nomads dancing on the graves of those who bled for us, which I think is a fantastically cool line. Uh, that Nico is playing like in a tribal type of way, which lends itself to the song. Um, the song they're they're basically being attacked. It sounds like on all sides, uh, they're talking about defending the wall. We need everyone at the wall. Um, there, there, there's a there's a pep talk type section in the song where they're talking themselves up, they're building themselves up as, hey, 
we can do this. Like they almost can't believe that they can do it. They believe it, but they can't, it's almost like, like we can do this. And then they're actually doing it. And they like, I can't believe we're actually doing this. It's a really, it's a really cool dynamic in the lyrics. Um, I feel like the music just fits very well into what the lyrics are telling. And I think Bruce's, uh, I'm going to use this word because I know, I know you're about to use this word and what you're going to say. The straining vocals of Bruce really sell it to me because it's a, it's a fight that's happening here. And Bruce pushes himself. I feel like in this song, like with everything he's got. And I know you don't like the strained Bruce vocals where he's pushing a little too hard. I love it. I love when he does it. And for me, I had two choices on this album. Uh, now there's more choices than that. There's plenty of choices on this album for seven minute songs, <laughs> but, yeah. um, but this is the one I chose. I just, I, I like this one a whole lot. It's not necessarily my favorite on the album, but I think it tells a really cool story lyrically. I think some of Steve Harris's best lyrics are on this album too. So, uh, Senjutsu, what do you think, Bruno, about that? Well, as I say, it's gone off the rails because, um, I, you know, without giving away too many spoilers, I might as well say, because otherwise I'm going to repeat myself later. I actually put this in my bottom five. This song? Um, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Um, it's just it's just one big yawn for me, and, and I, I I mean it's good that you mentioned the drums because the drums are the only good thing about this song, um, <laughs> and in that sense it's the perfect introduction to the album because it lowers your ex- expectations so much. Um, but before before we recorded this episode, I listened to No Prayer for the Dying and Fear, Fear of the Dark, like the whole albums, both those albums start to finish, and mm-hmm. I'm totally confident that Sinjutsu is worse than both of those albums. Oh, Bruno. And it might it might even be worse than Somewhere in Time. Oh, boy. Um, because, I mean, you know, anyone who's heard uh, you and I arguing on this show before knows that I don't like Somewhere in Time. But um, that album has got two brilliant Adrian Smith songs and all the rest of the songs on Somewhere in Time at least sound different whereas Sinjutsu is just a million hours of the same song. Oh, and the only, uh, the only ones that I bother listening to again are uh, The Time Machine and, and, like you said, Hell on Earth. And even then, like, why would you listen to The Time Machine and Hell on Earth when you could listen to Iron Maiden songs, which sound like those but are actually good? Um, <laughs> and the, the, the thing that baffles me about Sinjutsu, um, it's hard to believe that Adrian had a hand in writing it because it's got one thing that I associate Adrian with is a kind of lightness of touch. And I know that you don't like that because as we've established, you're the enemy of fun. Um, but Adrian really brings that lightness of touch to his hit songs. And he, he even brings it to like an epic song like Passchendaele. So Passchendaele, it, it, it's kind of, it's, it's dark and light. But on Sinjutsu, it's all just dark and it's boring. And yeah, that's just an absolute career worst for Iron Maiden. Listen, you can't say the whole album really sounds like one big thing. You got this song opens the album. Then it goes into Stratego, which is a complete change of pace. And then it goes into Riding on the Wall, which is another complete change of pace. Then it goes into Lord of Light, which is a whole different vibe that they've never done before. No, so, Lord of Light. Lord of Light is under a matter of life and death. No, no. Uh, uh, um, did I say Lord of Light? What did I mean? Um, 
Lost in a Lost World. Sorry, that's the song right. I meant to say. Um, but those those songs are all. I, I get it that there might be a dark vibe throughout the album, but uh, I think you're. I think you might need to re-listen to it there. Yeah, but I mean, you know, you know me, Steve. It's like I I never let facts stand in the way of opinion. <laughs> true, true. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Um, so we'll disagree on that. We can disagree on that and not argue too much. I don't think so. Um, so that's my number eight. Uh, let me go to Kirsty's number eight, which was the Isle of Avalon from uh, Final Frontier. So we will um, not, we're not, I'm not, I don't want to discuss her stuff because we're already discussing all of ours. And if we get to one of hers, we'll discuss it. And so that leads us to number seven. Bruno, what do you have at number seven? Yeah, so my number eight was Satellite 15, The Final Frontier, which we've already talked about. And um, okay, my, okay. My, my number seven is the title track of uh, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. Okay. Um, it's, it's quite a simple song. Um, and I, I guess, you know, bearing in mind Kirsty's definition earlier, that, a, that a, an epic uh, should by definition have lots of different sections. And this really has mm-hmm. only, I guess you could say only has two. So. Right. You could argue that maybe it, it falls into the, that 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 um, that uh, the, the bracket of songs that aren't really epics but are just happen to be very long. But I, I think it falls just on the right side of epic. Um, and I, I was thinking when I listened to it, it's got this that instrumental second half, which is a bunch of guitar solos that have no relation to the first half of the song. Mm-hmm. So do you think I, you're you're a big Megadeth fan, you know much more about Megadeth than I do. But you know, do you think Dave Mustaine is sitting there listening to Power Slave and he thinks, "Hey, that sounds pretty cool." And then five years later, he writes Hangar 18. <laughs> I'm, and I'm not. Uh, by the way, just in case anyone, I'm not suggesting for a second that that Dave Mustaine was ripping off Iron Maiden. I'm sure right. that you know, like all of those guys, like you know, uh, they, they grew up listening to Maiden and then they sure. translated that into making amazing music so there's not actually i can't I, there's not too many instances where megadeth and metallica actually sound like iron maiden mm-hmm. um but they definitely drew inspiration for them and and if and if the result of that inspiration is is a song like hangar 18 which like seventh son of a seventh son it's got the song and then it's got this whole other section of mad guitar solos mm-hmm. so so if, if if Mustaine did draw any inspiration from Maiden, then he he drew inspiration to create one of the greatest songs in the whole history of heavy metal. You know, Hangar 18 is by far my favourite Megadeth song. And, okay. and definitely, if I was putting together a all-time top 10 metal songs, then I'd put Hangar 18 in there. And so if Seventh Son of a Seventh Son had any part to play in that, then, you know, it should definitely hold its <laughs> head high. Um, but I, I think, you know, I've mentioned on this show before that, you know, if you put a gun to my head and said, what is your favorite Iron Maiden album, then I would probably say Seventh Son because, you know, I know you've said before that you regard the prophecy as a bit of a weak link, but, but even then that's because you're forcing yourself to choose that your least favorite song. And, um, and, and, you know, it's, it's basically flawless. And the title track is, is one of the highlights of a, of a highlight album. I will say uh, that I originally had that, when I was going through the songs and putting a bunch of them down that I thought, okay, these are going to be my top 11 songs here. And I started kind of narrowing things out and it was, 
I'm glad Kirsty said it and that you reiterated it, but that was the reason that I ended up taking it out was because it just, I thought there's, there's a little bit of the, there's the, the storyline there and then there's a whole lot of music and I love that song. I love listening to that song. It's just a masterpiece of just music and solos and just, it's aggressive and, but that did not make my list. But, and I think what you said about it is absolutely right because it's, and I never put that together though with a song like that and hang great team, but that's really, there's a big similarity there. That's a really good call. Uh, I, I don't know if, if that's where they got it from, if, if that's where Megadeth got it from, but Megadeth certainly has this thing where there's, there's music and lots of solo. They do lots of soloing. Like they do a, they do a set of verses, a chorus, and then there's a soloing section. Then they go into the second set of verses, chorus, soloing section. Then there's the regular soloing section. Then they go back into whatever. So it's, it's, they, I'm sure they drew inspiration from Maiden. Uh, I know that Metallica did. And it shines through like on a song like Hangar 18. If that's where they got that from, then hey, God bless Iron Maiden. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, I, I really think that I, I won't, even though it's not on my list, I can't disagree with you there. So. I can't disagree with that choice. Okay, so we're still doing pretty well. Apart from that Senjutsu split, the, the slip up, we're still doing pretty well so far. Yeah, and we're going to stay doing pretty well because my number seven is a song that you've already said. Um, it's it's at first it was one that I didn't. It took a little while to grow on me, but the story in this song is in. It's one of the best written stories I think they've done in a song. And the music weaves the tale of a guy dancing with the dead and dance of death. I mean, you know, the way it starts out, you know, where it just kind of, it's kind of a little dark, soft music. Let me tell you a story to chill the bones. And I, I, Bruce is a great, he's a great storyteller. Um, you know, when the, when the, the song, the dynamics, like it builds and builds, you know, like when it says feeling scared and I fell to my knees and the music's like, dun, 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 dun. It's just like, a, it's a, just a little bit of a, of a, um, oh, what was the word I was going to use there? It's just a little bit of a shift in the pace of the song that, you know, gives you that, that eerie, like something's going on here. Um, you know, and then the song kind of even builds a little more as if time had stopped still, I was numb with fear. You know, these guys, the dead are trying to get them to go over here. And when he gets to the part, it's like he he gets it's like he's free, you know. And he says, "I danced and I pranced," and he's like he's like like he's happy there. And then at a certain point, he realizes, you know, he, he there's a part where he says he says spirit was laughing and howling down at him, and he's just like it's like he's in the throes of elation, of this moment that just kind of came upon him. He's out in the middle, like it sounds like he's out camping, right, in the middle of the woods or something. He's like observing the moon and how bright it is and how nice it is. Um, but you know, when a skirmish happens and he's able to get away and he flees and um, the story that's told of, of a guy out in the woods, the dead come, he goes over there with him and he basically leaves his body dances with him and manages to get away. He's not sure why they let him go or how they, how he got away, but he did. And he just said he'd never dance no more until he dances with the dead. I think this song is the vibe and everything about this song is just epic. And um, I know you had this at number 10, but it's my number seven. So uh, I know you don't disagree with that. <laughs> so No, I do. I do. Uh, but it's kind of it like um, you, you, you'll, you'll know this better than I do because I've not seen 
maiden since the last time I saw them in concert was 1986. Okay. So it's... Like going back to what I was saying about Dance of Death being so popular and like having this extraordinary number of listens on Spotify. I'm like, why is that? Is it is it a live favorite? If they if they put it because no. I don't remember seeing it on a lot of set lists. I don't. When you said that, that that really surprised me. I don't I don't know why. Like more than Passchendaele surprises me because I wouldn't have expected that. Maybe people go to it just because it's the title track. But you know, there's that one little bit in the song. And that's the one part that I've heard people complain about the most. And I can always, you know, if you watch live video of them, you know, Yannick dances around a lot. I saw, I could, I don't know if I've ever seen it made, but I wish somebody would make it a video like that's just a loop of that. With Yannick just dancing in circles or something. Yeah. I think that would be, that's the one part I've, you know, I think they call it, Maybe an Irish jig is what I the way it gets described. Is that does that sound accurate? That sounds about right. So but what I'm wondering is like is is there a factor which we which I simply don't know about? Like because with a song that has this completely disproportionate amount of popularity, like well deserved popularity, but 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 slightly inexplicable. And I'm I'm wondering like maybe it was used on a trailer or something. Maybe it was used in some other context, you know, like earlier we were talking about Phantom of the Opera being mm-hmm. used on energy drink commercial. So maybe Dance of Death has been used in some other context and that has driven people to Spotify to check it. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure someone yeah. out there. I mean, the, the simple explanation could be simply it's a great song and people play it over and over again. But then that also applies to lots of songs on Dance yeah. of Death. So I'm not I don't understand why there's such a huge discrepancy. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's a great song. So if 28 million plays is a, is a, is a, is a measure of a great song, then this is a great song. Yeah. I, I will say that the, the other thing I can think of is dance of death as an album of this era of the uh, post, you know, when Bruce and Adrian came back era, this is not one of the higher regarded albums. It's it's people are funny about this era, but this album, you know, the album cover kind of set the tone for what people think about it when they look at it and they go, Oh, look at this. But that really, really does surprise me. I would wonder, you probably know, how does that compare, like, if you were looking at a list of all their songs being ranked, do you know, like, are, what are some other songs do you know that have more listens than that? Because that seems like a lot of listens. I do, yeah. I'll have to look it up. Um, I'll see if I can... Um, it, it is. I, I, I've just called up on Spotify, which are the the most listened to Maiden songs, and they're they're, they're pretty obvious, actually. So, like the the at, at the top by a huge margin, and again Matt is going to be horrified by this. Um, number one is the Trooper. Um, <laughs> of course. Number two is Run to the Hills. Number three, Fear of the Dark. Number four, Number of the Beast, and number five, Wasted Years. Sure. And so the Trooper has got um, more than three hundred nine million listens, and then it's quite a steep fall off after that. So Wasted Years has got over a hundred million listens. Okay. Um, so if you compare it to those, um, you know, 28 million listens is not much, but it's still by by maiden Spotify standards, it's still it's still huge. So sure, sure. Yeah. That's interesting. That's really interesting to know though, because I would I wouldn't have expected that. So but either way, I like the song and I, I admit it's definitely it's a different flavor for them, you know, especially with that weird guitar sound and everything. But so okay, wait, number seven for Kirsty. 
She has oh, she has a song I like that I don't think you like. Um, her number seven is from A Matter of Life and Death, and it is uh, Brighter Than a Thousand Suns, which I absolutely adore. I love that song to death. So I'm not going to ask you what you think of it because I already know you said made a comment about the front half of that album. <laughs> I don't want to. Yeah. So I, I, um, Brighter Than a Thousand Suns. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm. I'm less enthusiastic about the first half of that album than I am about the second. And it's kind of, to me, brighter than a thousand suns is kind of a collection of cool riffs in search of a song, but I don't, I don't dislike it. Okay. Okay. That's fair enough. So what is your number six? My number six, Iron Maiden Epic. Well, um, I've got a confession to make when I was putting together my book, uh, 666 songs to make you bang your head until you die. Um, I was trying to represent every Iron Maiden album. So I think I think every Maiden album apart from the Blaze ones is, is in that book. And um, at the time, I put in Different World um, as my choice from A Matter of Life and Death. And I still I still love Different World, but it's it's not actually representative of that album. It's probably the least representative song on that album. Yes. And I, I would say now that if I were doing the book again, I, I definitely made the wrong choice. I shouldn't have put in um, uh, that different world. I should have put in the reincarnation of Benjamin Brieg. Okay. Um, it's, the, it's the perfect marriage of really heavy and really catchy. And earlier you were saying um, – you know, any whenever we do these top ten type lists, on any given day, sorry, top eleven, any, any <laughs> one of these eleven songs could be number one, and right. I, I, and we're getting to the point on the list now where where I really feel that I I, I if if someone said the reincarnation of Benjamin Brieg is my favourite Iron Maiden song, I would say, do you know what, sir, that is a fine fine choice, and I completely <laughs> yeah. agree with you. So it's at number six, but it could just just as easily be number one for me. Okay. So, so I want to ask you, you said that you feel like you missed it by putting different world in there instead of that. Would you, I know you'll know what I mean when I say this, would you say that the flame burns inside of you that you wish you would have made that change? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was going to, I was going to try and go for this entire episode Without without talking about Ronnie James Dio because oh, I thought, I'm God. not going to bring this up just to annoy Steve. Yeah. But you've brought up the Wasp song that I said was my favourite that I did not include <laughs> in my book, and you're never going to let me forget it. That's right. Um, but, um, yeah. No, I'm. Yeah. I, I, if if I, I still think I made the right choice of Wasp song from 1984, and because sure, you have sure. a no profanity rule on your show, yeah, um, I can't say which song this is. Let's we'll call it animal, animal. animal. Yeah, there you go. We can call it Animal. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I think in terms of in terms of iconic sure, songs that were sure. really landmarks in metal, then I think um, then I think Animal is clearly more important than the Flame. <laughs> and even if you and I might think that the Flame is a better song. But um, but I think yeah I I will I will a hundred percent put my hands up and I will say I made the wrong choice because Benjamin a different world is a great is a great song and it's a good you know like like um, a, a song that you despise wildest dreams um, you know I like it because it's uplifting 
Um, and in that sense, you could say it completely wrong foots the listener who's going to go into a matter of life and death, which, as we discussed earlier, ends on this incredibly bleak note. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, it, it was good that they put it out and they, they put it as a single. But, yeah, the reincarnation of Benjamin Brig, magnificent song. And also it's um, it's only uh, like Phantom of the Opera. It's only like a little a, a touch over seven minutes as okay. well. So, um, you know, if, if, you're, if your criticism of latter-day Iron Maiden is that all the songs go on too long, then, then do yourself a favour and check out Benjamin Brig again because they do yeah. everything in a really comparatively short space of time. And I will say, not to add much to that, I absolutely love that song. Benjamin Brig, that's one of my absolute favourites on that album as well. It's a fantastic, uh, it's a fantastic story. Are you familiar with the TV show The Twilight Zone? Uh, I, I, I kind of know it because it's entered into popular culture. You know, everyone knows about the, right. you know, the guy looking out of the airplane window and seeing the thing yes. in the wing. I yeah. can't tell you I've actually watched an episode of The Twilight Zone. There's an episode of The Twilight Zone, and it's it's kind of a little bit of, you know, it's 60s sci-fi. And I'm not much of a sci-fi fan, but I do love The Twilight Zone. And there's an episode, it always reminds me of this song, because there's a guy, you know, the line in the song, he says, he says I've, I think he says, I've got dead men, I can see it in their eyes. And this guy, you know, they were off, they were fighting in world war two and he, he would, he was the leader of a certain, or his little troop or whatever. And when someone would come in, he'd be talking to people and talking to people. And then he would look at somebody and there was a look in their eyes and he would, and the first time it happened, he wasn't sure what it was, but then that guy ended up getting killed. And, um, then another time he, uh, sees another guy and it happens. And then he realizes, Oh, I've got this weird, thing going on kind of like what benjamin brig is i feel like you know at least at that line that reminds me of that episode so uh, i think that but there's a bit i can't remember if he's looking in a mirror he's getting ready to go home and they're like yeah you're gonna get on the jeep and you're gonna drive you blah 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 and he looks in the mirror i think if i remember this right i can't I haven't seen it in a while he sees the the look in his own eyes in the mirror and he knows that when he gets on that jeep to drive the road he knows that he's not going to make it back it's a pretty creepy episode so um but that's what that reminds me of so and i will say sorry when when benjamin breed came out there was that whole thing which they did to to generate publicity where which was like the whole mystery of who is benjamin breed and i it's now been too long i mean it's like what like 15 years later or whatever it is mm-hmm. what what was the upshot of that was was it did it turn out that benjamin Bree was eddie or was eddie's grandfather or something like that i don't recall but i just know it, it was a, it was just a, it was all fake you know it wasn't even a real thing i don't remember who they ended up saying it was but they said it was a they acted like it was a i think they said it was like maybe called find benjamin Brieg and it was a troop it was a guy who was like, this is an old relative of mine. And that it was like supposed to be about the search of their relative. And of course, Maiden wrote the song about it and blah, blah, blah. And then it turned out that they made, it was a whole, totally made up story. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> which, which I feel like that's one thing. I feel like they dropped the ball because they could have easily found a real story about that and used it, made it about a real, a real person in history and just still called it Benjamin Brieg. But, uh, Anyway, it's it's, it's kind of weird that they didn't use a little factual thing there. Given, I think I think um, I, I think when when we when we get Steve Harris on this show, we're going to have to say, look, Steve, you know, thanks for Iron Maiden. We really like your work, but I'm afraid the poem <laughs> "I'm of the Ancient Mariner" really sucks. 
And by the way, like, couldn't you have found like a real person? <laughs> like, what the hell were you doing? Yeah, and why did you release the Angel and the Gambler as a single from Virtual Eleven and not Future Real? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the question I was. So I do want to address one thing you said also in there. You mentioned that I don't like Wildest Dreams from uh, Dance of Death. And as I said, I've been listening to all the albums. I've listened to Dance of Death twice in the past week. And when I was listening to it yesterday, it really hit me differently than it's hit me in a long time. And I was like, you know, this song is not so bad. <laughs> so I don't hate the song. Like, I think the message in the song is good, but I just, it's never been a favorite of mine. And when, it, and I was kind of like really appreciating it and I, appreciating it. And I just thought, wow, this is different. <laughs> so, but you oh, mentioned, cool. uh, you mentioned it. So I had to say that. So, so your number uh, six was from a matter of life and death. My number of six is also from a matter of life and death. And I don't know if you've listened to any of the episodes that uh, Andrew has done on my podcast uh, called Somewhere Back in Time. And they are, he takes a historical event that an Iron Maiden song is about and he digs into the historical event. So we get to learn what it's about. The song I chose is about, it's the story of D-Day. It's called, this song is called The Longest Day. And it's not necessarily my favorite on the album, but like, I don't like the chorus, but the rest of the song is brilliant. And there's so many things that when Andrew tells the story, there's certain bits where the drums are almost like going off in a rapid gunfire machine gun type style during certain parts, bombs and just the lyrical content is amazing as well. Like it really is telling the story of that day. The music fits very well. And this was the, whenever we started that series, this is the inaugural episode that Andrew did was on the longest day, which it's amazing that his, this hearing it is amazing, but knowing the the story um, from him more, knowing how the music sounds with it, reading through the lyrics, I read through the lyrics yesterday and it's, it's, it's very graphic stuff, man. It's, it's, I think that's their best lyrical album by far. Um, and, but that song, it's a really, really great, great epic. So my number six is the longest day from a matter of life and death. Any thoughts? Yeah. The, um, the, the music is sensational and, um, this would appear pretty far down my rankings, mm-hmm. not because it's a bad song, but it's, um, you, you, t- you touched on this earlier where, where I, I don't like songs where Bruce is straining. And gotcha. to me, this is a song, the, the longest day in particular is a song that would really benefit if Bruce had sung it rather than shouted it. And so, okay. yeah, it's, it's, it's not a bad song, but I, I don't like the way that Bruce delivers it. Don't worry, there's more to come that you're not going to like. <laughs> One I'm very keenly aware of that you've mentioned, not on this episode, but in the past with me. So I know there's one that you're not going to probably be happy about, but that's okay. Um, Kirsty's number six was Phantom of the Opera. So, which can't cool. Be- so that's, that's, that's in all of our lists then. Okay, okay. So number five, now we're in the top five. So what is your number five, Bruno? Uh, number five, yeah, you worked out earlier which one it was going to be, and it's uh, the title track of Power Slave. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is this is one that is um, it's it's almost bang on seven minutes. So it's it's where they were, you know, really trimming the fat. And for me, even more than Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, this is the this is the epic on Power Slave. It's just a fantastic song, um, and. Bruce is at his most 
theatrical on this, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is something that I don't always like when he's kind of inhabiting a, when he's al- he's almost being an actor. But on this, on Power Slave, he sounds to me genuinely sinister, um, and it, uh, he he also and and uh, and I I don't have any um, guilt about mentioning this now because you mentioned Wasp earlier, um, <laughs> but I think on Power Slave this is where you can really hear the influence of Dio on on how he delivers this song. Like I I can imagine Dio singing this song, and I'm sure. Uh, that would not be something that you would want to listen to, but it wouldn't it be as good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah, it's a great song. Um, Adrian's playing on it is also absolutely fantastic. Um, and there's a story that Adrian tells about when he was recording it one morning, and he's he's hung over and he's got the shakes because they were drinking so much the night before. Uh-huh. And um, Robert Palmer who was the singer who made the song Addicted to Love and who was a neighbour of theirs when they were recording in the Bahamas. Uh-huh. He's, sitting ne- he's sitting next to Martin Birch and Robert Palmer's listening to Adrian ripping through the Power Slave solos and he's saying, that's effing great. Yeah. And that's such a, it's such a weird image because you uh-huh. just don't think of Robert Palmer sitting there at nine o'clock in the morning while a very hungover Adrian Smith is playing <laughs> those solos. Um, but it's also got, it's got that trademark you know, it's, it's really got the trademark chunky Steve Harris bass and it's got some absolutely tremendous fills by Nico as well. So it's a, it's a great song and it's also a great showcase for the whole band. Yeah, that that was also on my list and I it was either going to be that or Rhyme and I just decided, you know what, Rhyme goes a little further, but honestly, I like Power Slave better. So I probably, this is this is one of those ones where both of them really could have made the list. They're both great songs. Um, I do like Power Slave better, and I wish I would have now done that. <laughs> now, you know, so, but I didn't want to change anything. Once I made the list, I was like, okay, I'm just going to leave it here. Um, whether Bruno. Yeah, I, I, it's, it also, it's good that you mentioned our Ancient Mariner because, like you said, Ancient Mariner is the, it's like the, the, one of the definitive Maiden epics. So I'm, sure. I'm glad to put it in there because it really, yeah, it would have felt weird if we'd done a show like this and left that song out. Yeah, there's a few there's a few epics by Maiden that are definitive, especially I guess because people think so much of the old era of Maiden, the classic era. They think of that as Iron Maiden. A lot of people don't even consider nearly as much the newer era that we live in now. And uh, I'm I'm definitely, as you will hear on the rest of my list, I am a very big fan of it. Um, let's see. I'm gonna read Kirsty's number five. Um, uh, you know what? Me and Kirsty. Kirsty, congratulations. Me and you have the same number five. So I'll just share my number five. So, and this is the same as Kirsty's. But when I say you think of definitive epics by Iron Maiden, this is the, you know, outside of Ancient Mariner, I think this was probably even more of a hallmark definitive by Iron Maiden because it was the next, it was the second epic track that I think they really ever did. If you're talking over seven minutes, it has to be I'm, the second. I'm really, I'm really scared about what you're going to say now. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to like this, am I? If you don't like this, I don't know if you like Iron Maiden. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> I think, I think you're going to like this. My oh, number, okay. my number, uh, my number five, and Kirsty's number five is from Number of the Beast. Oh, okay. Hallowed be thy name. Um, oh, thank God for that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm not even sure what you were thinking of. If you were thinking, if I said it was the next one, you didn't think it was something from Killers, did you? 
No, because we were talking about um, Ancient Mariner, and then you said the next one, and I was thinking, oh, what's the next epic oh, of oh. Mariner? So I, I, I thought you were going in a completely different oh, direction. Oh, okay. I know where you're thinking. Never mind. <laughs> okay, I got you. <laughs> yeah, I know what you <laughs> Okay. I know exactly what you were thinking now. Okay. No wonder you were responding like that. No, I meant the next one from, um, from Phantom. So, um, right. obviously, this is... I mean, this could technically be the number one, as anybody knows. It's literally, and when I say this, people are going to say, well, why isn't it your number one when I say this? This is the perfect Iron Maiden epic. You know, the intro, it starts off, it's bleak. I'm waiting in my cold cell when the bell begins to chime. He's just reflecting. You know, he he's getting ready to go to the, to the gallows pole. He knows this time's coming. The music in this song fits you know when it starts and he's singing through the story of what what he's there for and what's happening the music sets the tone again very well it's a trait in very and pretty much every one of these songs there's very few that that doesn't fit you know where the music doesn't fit quite as much maybe like the final frontier is one that's just a little more straightforward but the you know someone asked me one time what was my favorite song of all time all time not what's your favorite Kiss song. What's your favorite Iron Maiden song? What's your favorite Wasp song? Naming those is hard enough, right? One song by a band you love, let alone one song out of every band in the world. What's your favorite song? And the song I named that day was Hallowed Be Thy Name. I was like, it's the, it's perfect. It's heavy. It's, it's a great story. It's got all the dynamics in an Iron Maiden song you would want, in a song you, that I would want. So, um Hallowed Be Thy Name is my number five. It doesn't mean I like any of these other songs more, but I think I appreciate the other ones a little more because Hallowed has been with me for so long, if that makes sense. So. It makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. And when I when you and I first started to think about our lists, um, I, I knew exactly what my the bottom song was going to be. And I thought, like, you, you, when, you, when you're compiling a like, list like this, you think, you know, obviously, Hello Be Thy Name is number one. Sure. Like, you, you kind of, that, that, that's just a given. And, um, and it isn't number one in my list, but by the narrowest of margins. Gotcha. Um, the, you know, since we're talking about it, I might as well say I put it at number two. Okay. Um, but but it, it's, you know, there's songs that came out 40 years ago that we still listen to and love because they remind us why we got into this music. So, you know, you and I were just talking about The Flame. Like, mm -hmm. The Flame is not an, it's not an important song in the history of rock and roll. It's not even a particularly important song in the history of Wasp, mm -hmm. but it's a song that you and I loved when we were kids and we still love it 40 years later. Um, and then there's a song, then there's songs that, transcend that sort of nostalgia and that stand the test of time because they're rock solid 100% classics yeah and hallowed be thy name is what it's one of those songs and i think i think you, you you said it you know you could argue that this song actually no, i think you were talking about phantom but um but then hallowed be thy name is also that really solidifies the blueprint for the rest of their career you know, certainly a lot of the songs that we've talked about on the show today. And the other interesting thing is, like, if they were recording it now, there's nothing they could do that could possibly make it any better than it was in 1982. Right. And you could say, and again, we touched on this earlier, you could say that if they made it now, they might actually diminish it slightly because they would let it go on for too long. Yeah, um, yeah. 
whereas in its in its i mean it's pretty much bang on seven minutes and it's it's just yeah it's it's a it's a perfect song i've got got nothing bad to say about halibut line at all yeah i'll tell you another song that i don't know if as many people consider it and i've always considered it an epic but it's only like five a little over five minutes long uh, that I think is very, it's just, I think it's a very epic song is Mother Russia from No Prayer for the Dying, but it's, it's just not long enough to fit. If it was seven minutes, I'd bet it, I think it would be in my list. I love that song. And I think it's the the music is very, to me, it, I've never been to Russia, but it, it gives me a feel of Russia when I, I will listen to it. At least I feel like it does kind of like Power Slave gives me a feel of Egypt, if that makes sense. <laughs> so it does. And, and that kind of brings up, you know, it's, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we're doing the episode this way where we actually set that seven minute rule because otherwise we would have far too broad a spectrum to, oh, yeah, to yeah. choose from. But you but but if if we were if we'd ignored that time rule, then there would be this this list would be very different. So stuff like Mother Russia for you mm-hmm. and um, even a song like Ace is High. Sure. Which is a very short song, but to me feels epic. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. That, that would be in there. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that that's that's a. a a different list and i think you know let, let's in a couple of years time when we <laughs> when we're done arguing about dio and wasp let's let's do that show but that's going to be <laughs> really difficult and kirsty's really going to get mad with us then oh boy <laughs> oh gosh okay so uh let's see so that was my number five and okay so now we're at number four so bruno what do you have you know what i'll read kirsty's number four first we'll, we'll give her a first on this one ladies first Ladies first. Her number four is something that is not on my list, but it is from an album that we both appear to like. Uh, it is Starblind from The Final Frontier. I, I And I'll be honest, I didn't really consider that one, but I love that song. So I think that's a fantastic song. So, so, so Bruno, I almost said, so Matt. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what is your number four, Bruno? Oh, my number four, we've already talked about it quite a bit, is Phantom of the Opera. Okay. And it's Phantom of the Opera, Opera is definitive maiden for me. And, uh, and, and it's remarkable that this was on their debut album. I'd, I'd, I'd have mm-hmm. to look up and see, you know, how, how young were those guys? And for all I know, you know, Steve might have written that. I don't know, I don't know what year Steve Harris wrote that song because presumably he had it in the bag before 1980. So mm-hmm. for him to come up with a song um like that so early in his career and so early in his life is just amazing mm-hmm. and you you could point to to uh, strange world is on the first album isn't it i'm not getting yes strange world is on, is on the, yeah so you, you could say strange world is the album on that is the song on that album that really stands out um but strange world to me sounds like alice cooper which is fine because sounding like Alice Cooper is never a bad thing. Right. Um, but Phantom of the Opera, just the only thing that Phantom of the Opera sounds like is Iron Maiden. And there's only a handful of songs that sum up what Iron Maiden are about as perfectly as Phantom of the Opera does. So yeah, that's why it's in my top five. So Steve Harris was born in 1956. So, so he was probably early twenties writing that song. Right. That's brilliant. <laughs> That's brilliant. It is brilliant. I mean, you know, I, I was working in a in a video store when my, I was in my early twenties. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I, I was, was working at a factory. Writing, 
Yeah, I mean, we we were not writing songs that were going to endure for the next half a century. So exactly. well, well done, Mr. Harris. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's see here. Okay, my number four. I already read Kirsty's. Okay, this this is going to be another. Um, the we're going to go um, off. The, I'm going to send you off like Aussie off the rails on the crazy train here. <laughs> uh, when when I gave my number because this is one that you mentioned to me. You might have mentioned it pretty recently. I know you did. I know you did. Not not might have. I know you did. Um. So my number four. Funny enough, because Kirsty's number four came from the final frontier. So also my number four comes from the final frontier. My second track from the final frontier. Wow. And I'm sure that you already know what this song is going to (laughs) be when I said that. Uh, You mentioned, um, what was the song you mentioned from, you mentioned the time machine from Senjutsu and this intro, the intro to time machine is very reminiscent of the talisman from Final Frontier. And you mentioned that you liked the time machine a bit, I think. So, but this song, I really love this song. This is when I first heard this and then I heard that they did it live. And I know, and I know the thing you, I think what you don't like about it is that Bruce is straining vocals because he's really pushing. Um, but I love the story in the song. You know, a guy basically leaving the world behind. It's, it's hard to tell if he's leaving the world behind because he's forced to. Like he's almost a prisoner at sea going somewhere else. But it looks like he's a guy leaving where he's from behind, never to go back again, to seek his fortune on the sea and go somewhere else. And I feel like the music really builds up. And there's a when the music really, really kicks in, uh, they're, they're getting hit by a storm. And the the music is just at this frenetic, hurried pace. And Bruce sounds like he is, what's the word? He just sounds like he's in the moment with them. Like he's just singing like he's so, like not like he's scared, but like he's just in a situation where like, holy crap, we're, we're the storm's upon us and we can barely hold it off. And I feel like the song is intense most of the way through. It's very fitting because they're on a boat and it's just constant barraging of water and storms and ocean. And, but Bruce is aggressive throughout the song when he sings it. It's very fitting. I love this version on the album. I love the live version from, uh, in vivo. This is, uh, my number four, the talisman. Yeah, it's um, like the one positive thing that I'm going to say is that I think it's it's good that um, a song from like the latter half of their career can have that impact on you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like we've said a couple of times, any one of these songs could be number one. And so the the, the, the rankings are kind of arbitrary at this point. But the fact that, that you know, you, you guys ranked this song above Hello Be Thy Name, I think... Yeah, I, I I don't like it, and I don't like it for the exact reason that you've said, which is that Bruce is straining. And but the the vocal more, more than any other song um, from his time in the band, this is the one where his vocal, vocals really really spoil it for me. I, I just yeah, and and it's probably the reason why. Well, it is it is the reason why the Final Frontier is never going to be my favorite uh, Maiden okay. album because this one song. Is like a stumbling block, but um, sure. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm glad that you guys love it. 
But you know, that's three separate songs from this album now that are on this list. Because you had um, The Journeyman. Uh, Kirsty had Starblind. That's four. Because I had the title track. That's four different songs from the Final Frontier that's made. That's a pretty... Uh, it says two things. One, there's a lot of long songs on that album. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I can tell you, I already know Kirsty's list. There's more to come. So so let me let me see what her number three is. Since we're at number three. Her number three. Oh, boy. No, that's right. She already mentioned Isle of Avalon. That's also on there. Okay. I don't know if I'm going to ask you to to speak on this or not. I don't remember if you like this one or not. I know you're not a fan of the album. But Kirsty's. I'm going to say it a certain way and see if you can guess. Kirsty's number three is almost a title track of an album. Um, that came out in 1986. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> so Kirsty's number three, even though she mentioned it earlier, her number three is Caught Somewhere in Time. So should I just skip that and go to your number three? Yeah, when I was putting together these rankings, I, I I had the songs that were really good that were like the contenders for the best. Then I had ones that were pretty good, but they were never going to get into my top 20. So, you know, stuff like Isle of Avalon and Starblind, I love that. I love that stuff. Yeah. Um, but am I going to walk down the street, you know, whistling Isle of Avalon or Starblind to myself? I'm, I'm not. Um, you know, I, I I kind of like them for the way that they sound rather than you know are, are they great strong songs that you're going to remember like you know any of the ones that we mentioned as being the the top rated on spotify earlier you're probably not um so i had those and then i had another list that i just called all right like you know if you put it on i wouldn't i wouldn't turn it off but i'm never going to consciously choose to listen to it and sure. caught, caught somewhere in time is on that list for me. Okay. And, and I'm being generous actually, because I know, <laughs> I mean, I, when I first heard this, uh, in 1986, you know, like hundreds of thousands of the rest of us, um, having fallen in love with Iron Maiden, um, y- you know, you go and buy the album on the day it's released. And I definitely did that with somewhere in time. And I was incredibly disappointed when I heard this for the first time. My expectations were really high after Live After Death. Yeah. But uh, Caught Somewhere in Time was just amazingly ordinary after, after, you know, I was talking about Aces High earlier, but also Where Eagles Dare. You know, these absolutely extraordinary album openers. And I'm even, I'm, I'm even going to like reach into the very depths of my soul and i'm going to say invaders as well because you know, the, the, re- the reason why we all dump on invaders we don't dump on invaders because it's a bad song we dump on invaders because of because of that one riff that is terrible but if you took yeah. that riff out then invaders would be fine so you've got um invaders um where eagles dare aces high and then the next one after that is caught somewhere in time. And it's, oh my God, it's just such a, it's such a huge drop off. Um, and like, if, if you were talking about 
now the modern 21st century era if you if you if you got like one of those artificial intelligence robots to write an <laughs> iron maiden song if if you specifically got it to write an iron maiden song from the mid 80s i think what that robot would come up with is caught somewhere in time <laughs> but it's not interesting it's way too long and if if you wanted like a stark illustration of how bad caught somewhere in time is the very next song is wasted years and wasted years is everything that caught somewhere in time isn't and if wasted years had been the opener on that album then you know little 14 year old bruno would not have been disappointed little 14 year old bruno would have said hey this is going to be a pretty good album i i would then have been very disappointed but at least i would have started off in thinking oh this is going to be good you might have reeled you might have reeled kirsty back in just a little bit with your wasted years comment but i'll say I'm much more on team Kirsty here than, than I, I remember hearing caught somewhere in time, obviously the same time. And I was a big fan. I got into them from live after death. And I remember just being blown away by caught somewhere in time. The way that, that it's very lush that it starts off with a dual guitar line right off the bat. I, I think that's a fantastic song. I prefer it. Uh, probably, Vocally, I prefer it to Where Eagles Dare. I think Where Eagles Dare musically is probably a better song. But um, yeah, either way, I I, I like it. Kirsty likes it. So you're outvoted here. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it, it's, as you know, I mean, we keep dropping hints about what, what song we're going to talk about. And everyone, everyone knows what song we're talking about. But I mean, Caught Somewhere in Time is, is, is a yeah. long way from being the worst offender on that album. Sure, sure, sure. Oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so let's see here. Um, that was her number three. What is your number three? Well, this is, this is where uh, we're going to go slightly off the rails again uh, because I'm actually going to choose the song that you rated as the worst one on the final frontier. Um, and it's uh, When the Wild Wind Blows. Uh, wait, I thought you already said that. Oh, no, no. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm thinking Journeyman. Never mind. When the Wild Wind yeah. Blows. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I, I love when, wild, when the Wild Wind Blows. And I know when you did your, you, you did your rankings of the, of the, you know, your least favorite songs on, on each album, um, on each of the Bruce albums. And so I think yeah. in, in that episode, you were at pains to point out, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're the worst. It just means that it's the one that you least gravitate to. But sure. But uh, to me, it's the one that I most gravitate to on the final frontier because it's one of the Maiden songs that sounds least like Iron Maiden. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, we, we, we all expect to have certain elements in Iron Maiden songs and we enjoy those elements and that's what makes us fans. But it's also interesting when they do stuff like Journeyman or like this where they step out of their um, comfort zone, I guess you could call it, and do sure. something different. And I, I just love the song. And, and uh, um, with some of these epic songs that we're talking about, and this one is nearly 11 minutes long, um, the, the length becomes um an opportunity for them to like show off and i don't mean that sure. necessarily in a derogatory way because if you've got guitarists of the of the caliber of the maiden guitarist then it's it's not necessarily going to be a bad thing to hear them doing guitar solos yeah. um but on when the wild wind blows none of them uh whether it's bruce or any of the musicians none of them are using it as a showcase to show what they can do 
they're just serving the song. And I think because this song tells a, you know, it specifically tells a story. Um, I, I think that's that's appropriate that they're that they're serving the story. They're not serving themselves. Um, the, the other thing with re-listening to it and um, and thinking about the the inspiration for the song. This is this a, a, a key difference in in the song from the original book. Um, and unlike Ancient Mariner, which you and I agreed was not really going to float our boat early on, um, I, I would anyone who hasn't read When the Wind Blows by Raymond Briggs, I can't recommend it highly enough. It's an absolutely spectacular book. Um, but in the book, um, the, the, it, it, there is a nuclear explosion, mm-hmm. um, and the, the ending of the, the book is really bleak and tragic, whereas... Um, in the song, the ending is also tragic, but but the couple have mistaken an earthquake for a nuclear explosion. So it's kind of interesting that um, that Steve did that. That he you know he t- he took the inspiration. He almost took the title, but then he changed the ending. And you know, I yeah. mean, fair play to him. It's you know, it's an interesting what do they call it artistic license. Sure. Um, but but if you think if you think this is a sad song lyrically, you should read the book because the book will just blow you away. Okay. Well, you'll be surprised to know that this this song is on my list. Oh, cool. I'm, I'm sorry, not this list. Oh, are you happy there, man? We will. <laughs> I had to try to think of a way to say that. It, it will be. We will be. I will mention it here in a minute. So, um, so let's see. Oh, now, funny enough, my number uh, three is something we're definitely going to agree on because my number three was your number nine. The legacy from a matter of life and death. Um, it reminds me of not musically, but of the rhyme of the ancient Mariner a little bit, because it's a guy that says, you know, I'll, you know, I'll tell you a thing that you ought to know. It's just two minutes of your time. You know, it's like a guy stopping you as you're going somewhere to tell you a story. Kind of like, you know, the rhyme of the ancient Mariner. Here his eyes as he stops one of three, you know, one of the wedding guests. He's stopping somebody to tell him a little story, you know, a, a learning story. And uh, this song, I mean, the music at the beginning, you know, when he's singing that, tell you a thing, it's very creepy. It's a little creepy of a thing going in. It lets you, I think it lets you know that the tale that's coming to you is not going to be very pleasant. Um, When the heavy bit comes in, you know, that ba it's dark it's heavy and it's dark um it's it's and what's really a dark thing is these people these uh soldiers putting their hope in the leaders their government leaders their uh military leaders and were obviously very deceived by them because they thought those guys were going to have their best interest at heart the only way those guys are going to have their best interest at heart is if their their own children are out there fighting, right? They don't care. They're, it's like the, the song War Pigs by Black Sabbath, right? Generals gathered in their masses, just like witches at black masses. It's, But I think the vibe in this song is very fitting. It's dark. It's angry. Uh, it's it's bleak. You know, these... Uh, but some of these... Uh, some of the lyrics in the song later on, you know, what it says, their whole life is death, pain, and misery. You know, the only thing they know fight fire with fire. Life is cheap. Uh, it's, it's th- these lyrics to me are just, they're amazing. 
Like for me, this is my favorite album, and I I think this is my favorite song off this album. It's, it's maybe I said that earlier, but it, it's telling the story about war and what goes into it, mind the mindset of it. Uh, it's it's an amazing amazing track, and I, I it's just incredible. I, I can't praise it enough. It's. I love that song. Every time I listen to it, I'm just, it it almost feels like the song takes you away for nine minutes or however long it is. Like you really just kind of forget where you are for a minute because it's, it's, it's very, it transports you to that mindset. It's, it's amazing. So the legacy. And um, I think, I mean, this, this probably doesn't apply to anyone who listens to to Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden's own because I would I would assume that everyone who listens to to your show is probably going to be familiar and a, a fan of all eras of Iron Maiden. I can't imagine that there's too many people who listen to your show who are just like, oh yeah, I like the Trooper and I'm not interested in anything else. Right, but, right. But if you are if you're like one of these people like me, for example, who like you know loved Iron Maiden when you were a kid, so you know those early albums inside and out and the later albums you've maybe listened to once or twice or even not at all, then one thing that that surprised me when I was going back, like you, I've been working backwards through the catalogue. Mm-hmm. And um, so um, when you get to a matter of life and death, what, what really um, almost shocked me is how heavy it is. Mm-hmm. Because even though Iron Maiden are a definitive heavy metal band, they've got these kind of different textures. And so you wouldn't put them, you know, if you're ranking heavy, heavy metal bands, like, you know, off the top of my head, the heaviest metal band that I can think of before you tip into like really extreme metal would be a band like um, Gojira, uh, for Mm -hmm. example. And, but you could put um, the legacy or Lord of light, like toe to toe with like a contemporary metal band that is incredibly heavy and those songs would really stand up. You know, they're great songs. They're really heavy. And that's not necessarily, as strange as it is to hear myself say this out loud, you know, heaviness is not necessarily a quality that I'm going to instinctively associate with Latter-day Iron Maiden now. Sure, sure, absolutely. But, actually, but they are really heavy. And, and A Matter of Life and Death is probably, I mean, that's that's the heaviest of all by, by a, a margin, I would say. Yeah, you know, I agree with you because – when you think of heavy metal, like you think of like, you know, master of puppets type Metallica or, you know, rust in peace type Megadeth or Slayer, you know, things like that. Um, right. And Iron Maiden's heavy, but in a very different way, you know, another yeah. thing about them, when you would see a picture of them, they weren't all, you know, like, like Slayer making these angry faces and they weren't, you know, trying to look mad. They, they just, they were smiling and they, they looked like, just a long haired dude you'd see walking down the street. You know, they didn't look like, uh, they didn't go for an angry image. They just, they were who they were. And, but yeah, this to me, I think this is their heaviest album. I definitely agree with you there. I, I, everything you said, I agreed with that. So yeah. Yeah. So now we're really getting down to the nitty gritty here. And I think, uh, Kirsty's number two and number one songs are both songs that we've already named. Um, one of them is uh, the, her number two, which you're going to say yours. Her number two is a song you named already. It is the title track of Power Slave. So neither of us can disagree with that one. Right. 
So let's see if I can disagree with your number two. Uh, you can't because we've already talked about it at length. And this was, this was I, I assumed this was going to be my number one. And on a different That's day, right. it probably would be number one. But um, yeah, hello, be thy name. There's, there's okay. um, you know, I, I can't say anything bad about that. There's, there's nothing I can, even if I'm really trying to be objective and say, oh, maybe they should have like, you know, tweaked the rhythm guitar or something. No, there's nothing. Hello, be thy name is perfect. Okay. Well, my number two is something that, that you have not mentioned yet. I don't think you are going to mention. I don't think you're going to mention either one of my top two, which is, and I'll be honest, I knew my number two was going to be on here. I was not expecting my number one to be on here. So my number two, well, I'll just say it. It comes from the Blaze Bailey era. And it is a song that Iron Maiden played I saw them in Denver earlier this year and they played it when I saw them in Denver to my uh, delight. They played sign of the cross, which it's like, it's about an 11 minute. It's 11, maybe 11 and a half minutes long. It's an epic, epic song. And it, it, it tells the story. I'm not exactly sure what this story is, <laughs> uh, but it's, you, you get the vibe of the story. I don't know who it's channeling. You know, you got chanting monks in the beginning of it. It sounds like it's during a holy war type of period, not Megadeth, but you know, um, <laughs> the the intro of the song, the light bit by Blaze, and when it when it kicks in, there's tension immediately in the vocals. The music in this song is just, you know, the first couple of minutes are just the monks and and you know, it's very very dark. Like, I, and I can remember as a fan waiting, you're waiting to hear. You're waiting to hear Blaze. Uh, okay, what is this guy going to sound like? Let's get to it. And then when he starts singing, it's really low. You know, 11 saintly shrouded men. You know, and he's, you're like, golly, what's this guy going to sound like? And then when it finally kicks in and whether a person likes Blaze's vocals or not, I know plenty of people that don't. And they say they love this song because they consider it a Bruce song because Bruce sang it on Rock and Rio. And Bruce... Bruce is better at everything than he is, you know, any singer, you know, any, any Iron Maiden song Bruce sings is his song. In my opinion, I know everyone doesn't agree with me on that, but I think blaze does a great job on the song. Uh, there's a breakdown in the song in the middle where there's more like weird vocal things going on. And there's just this incredible musical atmosphere throughout, um, I, I absolutely, like, I just, when I listened to this the other day, I was like, this song is brilliant. I love it, love it, love it. Uh, it's my number two, Sign of the Cross. Any thoughts? Yeah. I mean, it's very appropriate that you say number two. Um, oh, God. So, um, what I will say about Sign of the Cross, I don't, I don't like it. Uh, I, I, I don't like Blaze's vocals, especially okay. on the chorus. But what I will say mm. um is what an incredibly audacious opener that was. Mm -hmm. Because you've got a band that is coming back from losing its focal point, Bruce mm -hmm. Dickinson. So the logical thing for them to do um, on, on the first album after his departure with a new vocalist, the logical thing for them to do would have been to like really hit you over the head straight away, three-minute song, you mm -hmm. know, a song that sounds like the trooper just 
totally punch you in the face and right. everyone would say, oh, who is this Bruce guy? Because this, you know, Blaze is brilliant and this Iron Maiden is totally familiar. But they didn't. They, yeah. they did the complete opposite. And I cannot tell you how much I admire that. And I think, um, it, it, you know, in, instead of, um, I mean, you, you're you're a, a big Priest fan, and you and um, and you'll be yeah. I, I've not listened to those those albums with um, with Ripper Owens on it, so I, I actually don't know. My my guess, and you'll be able to tell me if I'm wrong, is is that they got Ripper in to basically copy Rob Halford and pick up where they were before. And mm. whereas whereas with Iron Maiden with Blaze, it was like no screw what we've done before because now we're going to give you an 11 minute song to open the album. Like, you know, it would have made sense to put sign of the cross at the end, but they were like, no, here's, here's a real definitive statement of where we are now. We're going to make it the first song on the album. And it, it really from a musical point of view, um, in the same way as something like Phantom of the Opera or Hallowed points the way to the first era of the band sign of the cross totally lifts the curtain on what they're going to do for the rest of their career, even once Bruce comes back. Absolutely, and so I guess that, yeah. that's, that's why, you know, obviously sign of the cross then makes it into their set list. Now from a, a personal point of view, um, sign of the cross was never going to get anywhere near my top 20. Like it would be closer to my bottom top 20. What I will <laughs> say it's the, the, the other one uh, that at one point was going to be almost when I was first drafting this list was going to be in my top 10, I, I was going to put the Klansman in there. So mm-hmm. if you, if you, if you'd put the Klansman in, then we'd be having a different conversation. But, but like I said, I don't like sign of the cross, but I like 11 out of 10 for, for ambition and sure, audacity. Sure. Yeah, I do like sign of the, I do like um, the Klansman as well, but I feel like the Klansman just kind of wavers a little long, you know, but it is what it is. It is. But I still like they they played that live when I saw them earlier this year as well. And I wasn't complaining about that either. It was it's it's a fun one to do live. So let's see here. So okay, that's our number two. We're so we're gonna get to our number one. So I, I have a feeling I'll shock you with my number one. Either that or we're gonna have the same number one. And then that'll shock I, I, and, I think I'm I mean, I'm not gonna I'll I'll, I'll maybe put ten bucks on this. I have a feeling that you and I are actually going to pick the same number one. I, you know what? Now that you mentioned that, I, I, I think it is. I, I think there's, there's no other way. But, um, but Kirsty doesn't have it as her number one, so maybe there's a chance. But, but you don't have her number one either. So I had her number one way down my list. Uh, her number one is is a. Uh, I don't want. I'm sorry, Kirsty, but it's a little predictable. The rhyme of the ancient mariner. So. But that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. That's, yeah, that's totally cool. Like we were saying earlier, it would, be, it would be so strange if we were doing this show about this topic and if we didn't. No one mentioned it. <laughs> really highly. And and also if we were, you know, when I when I knocked it out of my top eleven, I, I, I was doing it because you know I was drawing a distinction between the live version and the studio version. Sure, if, sure. if I if I hadn't thought about that, then then Ancient Mariner would definitely have been in in my top eleven. And, and it's easy to, I mean, there, there's, like I said, there's so many good ones. There's so many, it's easy. You could, there's not a real definitive number one, like we said. So it's just, there's so many great ones. It's, it's, I'm kind of glad you didn't include, I'm really glad you didn't include it. Cause it's just, it gives us more different things to talk about, more songs to talk about. So, 
Okay, so Bruno, I, I'm, I'm going to say it like this because I, I really do think we're going to have the same number one. Now, this is amazing to me. Out of all, <laughs> out of 48 songs, I think we're going to have the same number one. And, and and the crazier part is, me and you, <laughs> me and Bruno McDonald are going to have the same number one. This is pretty amazing, given given our disagreeing history. So, Bruno, tell me what our number one Iron Maiden epic is. Okay, well, I, I, I mean, we've given it such a huge build-up, so what if it isn't the same song? But I can tell you my number one is from Dance of Death. So have we got the same one? Bruno, tell me what your number one Iron Maiden epic is. <laughs> my number one Iron Maiden epic, and uh, I, I, I went back and forth between this and Hallowed Be Thy Name for all the time that I was compiling this list, and it took me about a week, and it took me... I added up all the songs this morning and it, it came to about seven hours. So seven hours listening to all of these songs start to finish, like should Hallowed Be Thy Name be number one or should this song be number one? And this is the song that that got into my head when I first heard it all those years ago and has never left. And this week I've woken up every morning thinking about it and gone through the day thinking about it. My number one Iron Maiden epic is Passchendaele. I knew it. I knew it. Can I say this before you say anything else? This is the song that right before I went to bed last night, I was like, oh my God, I left Passchendaele on my list. <laughs> and I was like, cause I was like, that's an amazing song. So I, I can't, I'm not going to disagree with anything you say here, but that was the song that came into my head last night when I was getting ready to get in bed. Yeah, that would that would have been a crime against humanity if you hadn't. If, I mean, it, like, forget about putting it in a one. If you if you'd if you'd left that out, then you would just be kicking yourself until your grave. Yes. But um, I, I put Passchendaele number one for a couple of reasons. The first, obviously, is that it's a great song. Um, the second reason is it's got these classic Iron Maiden elements, especially Bruce's vocals. But what it's also got is its own unique character. So from the moment that that little um, guitar signature kicks in at the start, you know that this is not going to be, to borrow one of your phrases, it's not going to be just another cookie cutter maiden epic. Sure. Um, there's, a, there's a great quote from Bruce about this, which explains why his performance is so strong on the song. And Bruce says, um, when I was in army cadets at school, we used to go out on night exercises they'd fire these parachute flares and star shells that would go up into the sky, emitting an eerie ghostly light as they twinkled and illuminated before falling back down. That eerie twinkling sound that the flares made is the exact same sound of that small riff at the beginning of the song. Hmm. As soon as I heard it, shivers shot down my spine and I just knew that it was going to be amazing. So that's what Bruce says. And, um, so, so to me, Passchendaele has got this really unique character, and that's one of the reasons why I rate um, the album Dance of Death so highly, because it's a real patchwork of styles, but sure. most of those styles work pretty well. And in, and in that sense, I find it, you know, I don't necessarily find it, per, personal preference, I find it a better album than a matter of life and death. But, a, 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 but a, a, another way to say it would be it's an easier listen than a matter of life and death because that's a great album, but it's a lot to take in one sitting because it's so unrelentingly heavy. Sure. Um, 
But my last reason for picking Passchendaele, so I'm going to let I'm going to let you speak in a moment because I'm sure you've got plenty to say about this song as well. But my last reason for picking Passchendaele as number one is it came out 23 years after their debut album, yeah. and I don't think there are that many bands who are really interested in pushing themselves when they've been doing it that long. Mm -hmm. So if you look at um, uh, Def Leppard, for example, who were Maiden's main contemporaries when they began. And I'm not knocking Def Leppard because I think they're a great band. But on the first Leppard album, they've got Overture, which is an eight-minute song that's clearly an attempt to be like Rush. And then that aspect of the band they threw out almost immediately. And at the time that Maiden are doing Dance of Death, Def Leppard are doing an album called X. And there's nothing wrong with X, it's fine, but it's sure. basically just another pop rock Def Leppard album. Yeah. Um, and Leppard made a great album in 1996 called Slang, which is pretty adventurous, but it didn't sell very well by their standards. So they immediately went back to what they knew best. And you, I'm going to try and be an object, objective here. You, you could argue that, that Iron Maiden also went backwards because after the Blaze albums, they get Bruce back. But, um, but musically, they didn't compromise at all. Like there was a, there was a compromise commercially because they're like okay this guy doesn't work so we'll get back the guy who we know does work mm -hmm. but musically no compromise and it's interesting in the same way as um, uh, as I said you know Hallowed Be Thy Name is the blueprint for the eighties Sign of the Cross is is the blueprint for everything that comes after that including including Passchendaele even even though you know the songs don't sound similar but but it, as a, as a sort of statement of where they were creatively and artistically, um, Passchendaele definitely belongs in that lineage that begins with Sign of the Cross. So I admire the sort of single-mindedness that makes them still, at their age, um, push forwards and be creative and come up with songs like Passchendaele. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing song. And I listened to a podcast uh, there, there's a there's another Iron Maiden podcast that I used to listen to, uh, still occasionally do, uh, called uh, oh, oh gosh, what's it called? <laughs> what, what, uh, Wayne, you mean Wayne? No, no, not Wayne. Um, um, Talking Maiden, Talking oh, Maiden, talking Maiden right, yeah. and they're much more just not serious, but just more straightforward with uh, talking about albums and things like that. Whereas mine, there's a lot of goofiness and just ranking a lot of stuff and 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 just. I just try to have, like, it's just trying to have fun conversations and, but they, he mentioned a podcast um, and the name of that, uh, I'm going to go real talk real slow so I can get to get it pulled up. The name of that podcast, mm, if I can move my fingers here, the name of that podcast was uh, Don Carlin's Hardcore History. And I don't know where you can find this episode now because it doesn't show up on their feed. But they did an ep they did a whole big series about World War One, and they did a huge thing about Passchendaele. And he said, "I listened to that." And he told he talked about how you know graphic and detailed it was, and I was like, "Okay." I had I, that week I was doing a job where I had to drive ten hours a day, and a lot of time to just sit and listen. And I listened to the whole podcast about World War One, uh, and it was long. It was like probably 20 hours. It was multiple episodes. Each episode was four or five hours long. And they went into Passchendaele in great, great depth. And it was incredibly amazing to listen to. It was very sad because it was so graphic, a very, very, very graphic telling. 
and I, it blew me away. The horror, the horror of war. Um, the the lyrics of this song. I mean, Steve Harris, he's a brilliant lyric writer. Uh, like, there's a bit in the song, you know, when it gets a little faster, um, and and the lyrics he's singing. I mean, it's it's poetic. It's it's terrible lyrics, but it's poetic. Not terrible written, but just you know, graphically. Blood is fall. Blood is falling like the rain. Its crimson cloak unveils again. The sounds of gun can't hide their shame, and so we die at Passchendaele. Dodging shrapnel and barbed wire, running straight at cannon fire, running blind as I hold my breath, say a prayer, symphony of death. As we charge the enemy lines, a burst of fire and we go down. I choke a cry, but no one hears. Feel the blood go down my throat. I mean, that is very graphic lyrics. And the Adrian, from what I understand, composed the music. He came in with this song and worked with Steve on it, I guess. And it is a brilliant. I'm glad you put it at number one. I'm glad it's not on my list and you put it at number one because we get to talk about it. And it, it is a brilliant song. Uh, it's an amazing song. Musically. And, you know, that's one of the cool, and and the music fits. It's cool when they do it, when they get it right on both sides, musically and lyrically, like a song like The Legacy as well. Like the music fits, the lyrics are just incredibly well written. Oh, yeah. Great, great, great choice. Yeah. And I think um, the the lyrics are fantastic. And I think this is an example of Steve um, turning history into poetry. Yes. You know, we, we get, we're going to get in a few minutes. We're going to get into it into into the like the archetypal time when he didn't do that, and <laughs> but in this case, he absolutely did. And um, yeah, I've got a quote from Adrian where he says, "I I remember." So, so Adrian has set himself this task of writing an Iron Maiden epic, which he mm-hmm. hasn't really done before. Right. And he says, "I remember going out to a library to get lyrical ideas, and the very first book I saw was on the Battle of Passchendaele." The title alone just captured my imagination. I gave the music to Steve and I explained where it was coming from and I th- and what I thought it should be about. And he was off uh, writing the the lyrics. Yeah. And um, and I've got um, a quote from Kevin Shirley as well. And he says um, he says Passchendaele resonates with the majesty of battle, but it also conveys a sense of poignancy over the magnitude of loss. And the sheer pointlessness of it all. So yeah. I think you know he's he's absolutely right there. And uh, in in that um, in in that press release, which was I guess the press release they put out when when Dance of Death came out, the press release said Passchendaele represents the pinnacle of Kevin Shirley's association with Iron Maiden thus thus far. And I would say that you know even though they did obviously they did fantastic stuff after that on Matter of Life and Death, um, and um, and Dance of Death, uh, and uh, sorry, The Final Frontier, and and The Book of Souls, actually. I, I kind of feel a bit guilty that that I put nothing from The Book of Souls in because I really like that album. And again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about I was surprised how, on re-listening to it, how heavy it was. And, you know, y- you could you could say it's a, it's a testament to uh, how good, you know, those earlier albums are, um, that, that, a, that a Book of Souls hasn't been, you know, if an, al- if an album as good as the Book of Souls 
isn't represented on our lists. That means the stuff that is on our lists is really, really good. Right. Um, and but yeah, it, it, it's you know I I would be very happy to be proved wrong about this, but I cannot see at this point that they are ever going to top Passchendaele. Kirsty did have if eternity should fail. So uh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so that is on Book of Souls, and she also had let's see. No, that was it. But she did have one song from Book of Souls on there. So, <clears throat> so my song, my number one. I really, really, really did not expect this to be my number one when I started this. I expected it to be on my list, maybe, but I didn't expect it to be my number one. But you just mentioned, and it's very, very perfect setup, by the way. You just mentioned how neither one of us have mentioned the Book of Souls. <laughs> okay. My number one. And you know what it is. As soon as I said that, surely you know. Well, you don't know. Actually, there's so many songs on that album that it could be. Um, I, I will say, the title track was on my list. But then I realized I had 12 songs on here. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, okay, something's got to go. And I kind of, you know, I could have I pushed out a couple of other ones. But I decided to leave that one in. <clears throat> But my number one, I'll just say it, Bruno. You mentioned it earlier. The Empire of the Clouds. I didn't expect this song because it's not really a favorite of mine. And, and you know, I told you earlier before we started recording this that I was watching videos on YouTube with the lyrics playing just to kind of, of a few songs, not didn't do it for all of them. But I was doing it for this one last night because I was I had already picked it and I was like, let, let me just kind of listen to it again. And the lyrics I, and I was like, wow, I'm singing all these lyrics wrong. <laughs> Cause I don't, <laughs> you know, I probably, it's not like in the day whenever we were young and you could just lay on the floor in your bedroom and listen to an album and read the lyrics and listen to the album over and over and over, you know, as an adult, I know the first time I listened to it, I had the lyrics in my hand and I was reading along. That's probably the only time I've ever done it. So last night I was reading, seeing the lyrics and how, detailed they were and some of the words are just words that have to be very tailored to that time and people in the flying industry you know certain titles that they would have and there's so much going on lyrically and it's about flying and Bruce's that's his passion so just all that together lyrically it tells the story fantastically it's the tale of the R101 which I never heard of in my life until of until I heard this song, even though I realize now that I had seen pictures of it, and I believe there's the picture of it crack. Is that what's on the cover of Led Zeppelin's first album? Uh, no, that's an airship, isn't it? Okay, I just know there's something crack. Isn't that the one that has the crashing ship that's on fire, flames, or something? Yeah, I, I, I always I always assumed that that was actually the Graf Zeppelin itself because they were named after the airship. So I, I okay, don't, okay, I, I could be wrong, but I. Don't think that's the same thing, but I'm 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 not an expert at all. Okay, yeah, but it's similar, you know, in, in type of thing. But this song, obviously, it's the only Iron Maiden song that truly starts out, or really has a piano playing in it, which is to me that's a huge. You know, you talk about Iron Maiden taking chances, like with something like Sign of the Cross. We're going to open our album 
with our brand new singer and you're going to get an 11 and a half minute song, you know, an epic, you're going to get the album epic right off the bat. That's, that's a ballsy thing to do. And I think, you know, starting an Iron Maiden song with piano in it is a gutsy move by them as well, you know, because they're far enough into their career where they can do anything they want. So, but doing that, but doing whatever you want, throwing a piano in the front of an Iron Maiden song is just, you wouldn't expect it. You know what? You turn it on. You're like, wait, is this don't know what you got till it's gone by Cinderella? What's going on here? You know? <laughs> um, but you know, the piano, I feel like musically, cause this song, from what I understand, this song was solely written by Bruce. He came in with all the music, all the lyrics. Steve Harris himself has called this song a masterpiece. I've never really agreed with that, but when I was listening to it last night, I've listened to it twice in the past week, and I I I totally agree with him. The music fits the vibe everywhere perfectly. You know, when it starts out, it's just this kind of hopeful, you know, piano piece. Uh, he's telling you the tale and the music builds and builds and builds and everything that's happening. The music's building along with it. It's, it's perfect. The, there's two parts in the song where I didn't know this, but I think Matt might've told me this where the band is doing that. Dun, 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 dun. You know, it's, it's the, it's the, um, I don't know what they call it. It's SOS. It's the, uh, the tap for SOS or whatever. Right. Which is brilliant. That they, that they actually fit that into the song. Um, but the first time it plays, it, it's promising. There's this victorious, this, this guitar solo. It's like, it's very like a victorious sounding thing, but it's premature because then you get that SOS again. That, then the pace picks up and you know there's something going wrong. And especially if you're reading along with the lyrics. Oh, it's you know, the wind is pushing the ship. The horrors of flight are happening. The music depicts the, the emotions like so well. I, I'm just like, bravo, man. Bravo, Bruce. This is incredible. It's not my favorite song by Iron Maiden, but when you're talking about an epic and it, and it's fun, it's odd, you know, okay, hey, it's the longest song. It's got to be the best one. I don't definitely don't agree with that, but man, Bruce knocked it out of the park with this song. So... What do you think of it? Yeah, I've got a quote from Adrian. It's saying, Empire of the Clouds fell just outside my my top 11. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, Adrian said, um, every single day we'd be in the studio blasting out stuff and Bruce would be in the soundproof glass booth playing piano, like Beethoven with his ear to the piano, concocting this masterpiece. So Adrian also said the word masterpiece. Uh And uh, Adrian says, I think he wrote every single note in it. We interpreted it and we did it in sections. Kevin and Bruce would be in the control room and say, that's too bluesy. Can you make it a bit more classical sounding? And Bruce recorded all the piano from start to finish. And then we played along to that. And then they put the orchestration on afterwards. So, yeah, I've, I've got no argument with that. And also, um, I, I recently read Bruce's book. Um, what's it called? What does this button do? Mm-hmm. And there's, there's a lot about flying in there. And I have to admit, there were there were bits in that book where he's talking about flying in this really kind of forensic detail, and I glazed over a little bit. Right, and I was right. skipping paragraphs, but um, it's, it's still a great book, by the way. And if you haven't haven't read it, I, I really recommend it. It was very illuminating. But um, but you, in a way, you could almost throw out everything that he says about flying in that book, and instead just listen to Empire of the Clouds because it, because it, it sums up how 
passionate he is about that subject and how he was able not not to me like I was, I was saying in Passchendaele that, that Steve had turned history into poetry and I don't think Bruce hits the same standard on this song, but it's pretty close. It's pretty close. Yeah, it's a brilliant song. I just, and I, it, 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 this is what is really kind of fun and 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 uh, rewarding about doing an episode like this because I listen to this song and I have a total, I've never disliked it, but it, it's given me a, like a total new appreciation for the song that I'm just like, it's certainly going to jump up a level in my book now from what I thought it was. Obviously, I threw it at number one. And like I said, any of these songs really, really could be a number one. But there's some of them. Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, I, I don't really ever look forward to hearing Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. I, I get it that it's an epic. It's one of the very first songs I ever heard by Iron Maiden because I had Live After Death first. But... The song that got me on that album, funny enough, is lower. Phantom of the Opera, <laughs> but um, but either way, you can't go wrong with literally any of these songs we've named. Every one of these songs is is um should be uh, required listening. And if you're an Iron Maiden fan, obviously you're probably very aware of all of these songs. So I'm I'll be curious to see what other people think of these lists. But <laughs> the next list we're gonna do is the list that's probably gonna be the one that upset some maybe it upset a couple people maybe maybe yeah, well i mean we're, we're going I, to upset each other <laughs> I, well I, i'll be honest i really don't hate any of the songs in my my bottom and i really don't even talk real super bad about them it, at a certain point it was like okay i've got to pick five songs let me just find real quick reasons and find five so um and one of my reasons, my my number five has a kind of a funny reason. You'll you might get a laugh out of it. So I don't want to upset anybody intentionally. If it happens, it happens. Now you, on the other hand, I know you're going to upset some people. <laughs> <laughs> so let let's let's see let's see what happens here. Let's let's start. We're doing our least best Iron Maiden epics. And did, um, did, did Kirsty list hers? I have Kirsty's as well. So let's. Okay. I'll give you Kirsty's number five. We'll let Kirsty. Oh. Oh wow, Kirsty. Hmm. So okay, Kirsty's number five. I very, very much disagree with. It's one I would have maybe put on my top eleven. Wow. Now I know why she said I would be upset. <laughs> Kirsty. Wow. Her number four is one I like too. Uh, her number five is from Brave New World. It's Dream of Mirrors. I really like that one a lot. So, okay. Uh, mm, wow. I'm glad I didn't look at that before now. So, okay, so that, yeah, that's her number five. Okay. So, um, Bruno, what is your number five? So this is of the five and make sure we have them in the right order here. Your number five means it's the best of these five. Number one being your top least best song, right? Right. Okay. Okay. Just make sure we got them the right way. Okay. So what is your but number I mean, five? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a distinction that makes sense for you because you quite like some of your bottom five, whereas I really don't like them. All right. Um, let's see. So, so, uh, so when, when I'm saying this is the best of the five songs, it's really not saying much because <laughs> I, I'm still going to put these absolutely bottom of the pile. All right. And, um, and most of the Iron Maiden albums are, 
and I know I know you disagree with this, but uh, m- most of the Iron Maiden albums, apart from the Paul Diano ones, have one turd in the swimming pool that stops them from being perfect. And there's that very entertaining episode that you did really early on. I think it's episode three where you choose the worst ones on each Bruce album. Yes, yeah. And uh, anyone like me who came into Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone um, later on, uh, go back and check out that episode because it's it's uh, by 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 your epic standards, it's really it's really quick and uh, and it's also it's very funny. There were bits in it that that made me laugh out loud, and I really enjoyed it. And even though I didn't agree with all your choices, like you put when the wild wind blows in there, which is the act of a madman. But I really enjoyed what you did there. That that um, by the way, that episode it came out May twenty May twelfth of twenty twenty. It's episode fourteen if you're if you're because I have them numbered. So it's called Iron Maiden: The Worst of Bruce Dickinson. That's what it's called. I just looked it up real quick. So go ahead. Yeah, and when when you, when you were when you were doing that episode, um, you know, there, there were some really obvious ones, like you know, on Number of the Beast, it's always going to be Gangland, you know, no question. Yeah, and then. On the other end of the scale, there's always going to be some albums where it's hard to choose because all the songs are either good or great. So Power Slave and Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, you know, they definitely fall in. You know, there's no bad songs on those albums. Well, let me um, let me add this too. That ep- you said that episode was short. It was 51 minutes. Okay, that was me by myself. If you were on that episode with me, <laughs> it probably <laughs> two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but when we're when we're choosing like um, songs from the Bruce era that really just blast a huge hole in the side of the ship, and you just go, I yeah. don't, I don't know that this album is going to recover. Um, to me, uh, I'm afraid I have to agree with um, with Iron Maiden, uh, the Iron Maiden Zone's official historian. Um, mm. uh, yeah. Kirsty Prince, you got this app. This, this oh, is probably no. this is probably the. I think it's the first time, and it may be the last time that Kirsty and I have ever agreed on anything. <laughs> um, yeah, I've also gone for Dream of Mirrors. Mm. Um, I've got a couple of reasons, neither of which you know, you're not going to agree with any of this, but I, I'm I'm going to tell you why I chose it. Um, the first is the first ten seconds of the song where Bruce is doing those terrible mock opera type vocals that that's just awful um but the second reason which i guess is more important is that um it's more than nine minutes long it's nearly nine and a half minutes long but it doesn't it doesn't actually do anything interesting it starts off incredibly annoyingly then it gets slow oh boy. <laughs> then it gets fast but then it just repeats itself to absolutely no purpose at all and uh it, it's it's kind of weird that that Bruce and you know and just you know I listened to all these songs start to finish to see whether I was wrong or right about them. I didn't want to base it just on first impressions, so I I really did listen to all of these songs and I was reading up about them as well. And there's a there's a really really good site which unfortunately isn't maintained anymore, but it's a great look at um, most of their career called IronMaidenCommentary.com. Yes. Yeah. And um and so a lot of the quotes that I've been reading out on this on this episode are, are from that. And Bruce called Dream of Mirrors one of the best choruses Steve has ever written and one of the best lyrics. And I guess that makes a sort of sense considering some of the really terrible lyrics that Steve Harris has written over the years. Because 
I agree with you that he's written lots of he's probably written more brilliant lyrics than bad ones but he has also written some terrible ones sure and in this song um that chorus you know i only dream in black and white mm -hmm. like it's all it's all right it's not a bad line but by the time that you've heard it about a hundred times <laughs> in nine and a half minutes you're like okay i get the point you only dream in black and white and <laughs> i i could have i think i think a song that you would have expected me to put in my top five and that I didn't was Heaven Can Wait. And because that chorus is also terrible, and we yeah. also have to hear it about a million times in the song. You know, it's like, it wasn't that great when you first sang it, and now, like, you know, all these minutes later, we're still having to hear it. But I'm going to give Heaven Can Wait a pass because it's two minutes shorter than Dream of Mirrors. And also because even though Kirsty and I have just agreed on this song, if I'm too mean about somewhere in time, then Kirsty's not going to be my friend anymore. Wow. So you and Kirsty just agreed on one. Yeah. Man. So that we've. It will never happen again. Oh my gosh. I love that song. You know, that whole bit, obviously, you know, that was the reason I didn't like it at first. Dun, dun. Have you ever felt? I was like, oh, I didn't like that. But then it wanted to get to that part, you know, dun. Dun -dun 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 -dun. don't know why i feel this way and all that stuff oh i think he sounds brilliant man i love that song i love that song wow wow i can't believe that uh that that, that does shock me that really sh it shocks me that i saw it on kirstie's list <laughs> and, and even worse you you echoed it oh my gosh oh man i can't work in these conditions <laughs> oh my gosh now i'm being now i'm being outvoted right that's what i said about you earlier so don't worry. Uh, yeah, you know I've got one coming that you're not going to like. So maybe more. Maybe, well, you know, and and I promise that this is my list. I haven't changed anything. I'm not changing anything. It might seem like I'm changing something because I'm about to name a song that was on Kirsty's top list. <laughs> and and it's kind of for a dumb reason because I was listening to this song and I was really enjoying it a couple days ago until a certain part gets in the song and I feel like I'm listening to the band Rush. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about Isle of Avalon from what? <laughs> from the Final Frontier. How uh, dare you! I mostly like the song. Like, I, like I said, I pretty much even even my number one, which is easily most people's probably least favorite Iron Maiden song. Isle of Avalon, I it's never one that I've loved. But I don't dislike it. And when I was, and like I told you, even listening to um, Wildest Dreams the other day, kind of, I felt different about it. Like, you know, I kind of appreciate this more. And I was definitely appreciating Isle of Avalon more. But there is a bit in the song where it feels like I'm listening to Rush. I don't like Rush. Um, thankfully, Bruce doesn't sound like Getty Lee, or else it, the whole song would just be a, a, a bottom, be a number five. And it would be for perfectly, it'd be my number one, maybe, if he sounded like Getty Lee. But uh, yeah, it sounds like Rush, and I wrote, that's reason enough to put it at number five. <laughs> I think, um, like, you know, every now and then we get these controversies which kind of engulf this show and engulf <laughs> you on social media. So obviously, like, I guess the big one would be uh, the Kiss song, Going Blind, which yeah. is like, you know, that that every every few months or so that cycles around on Twitter again. And then there's obviously the ongoing thing where you are literally 
the only person on the planet who doesn't love Ronnie James Dio, which is, you know, a, a, a clear mark of someone who has had been very, very deeply damaged in childhood. And now you're choosing Isle of Avalon. And yeah, I, I knew it was too good to be true when we spent the first half of this show agreeing with each other. But <laughs> I really didn't, I didn't, I didn't expect that one to be the break. You know, there's so many other rotten songs in the catalogue and it's like, really? that That's the one you don't like? I mean, no, I mean, you know, as, as you correctly said, when I first appeared on this show and we've referenced it again today, Art is subjective. Yes. Music is subjective. There's no right or wrong. But on this case, y- y- you're wrong. I mean, you're, you're <laughs> wrong. But then the other thing that, that, you know, forget going blind, forget Ronnie James Dio. I like to think the fact that you just said, I don't like Rush. Like you're dismissing the entire <laughs> career of one of the most, uh, you know, ambitious and sophisticated and well-respected. I also gave the reason, though. I do, if they had a, I've told, I've got friends, I've got more than one friend that love, well, i got multiple friends that love Rush. And I've always said the same thing. If they had a good vocalist, I think I would appreciate them because I don't mind their music. Let, let me tell you a quick story. Years ago, years ago, this would have probably been late 90s, early 2000s. I was listening to the local rock station. I was at work and I was listening to this song and it, I, it, it sounded, I had never heard it before. And you'll laugh when I tell you what it was. But I thought, wow, this must be an old Black Sabbath. This must be a like they found an old Black Sabbath song that's never been released or something. I was really getting into it. And then and then all of a sudden this voice comes in. Well, they call me the working man. <laughs> I was just like, oh, God, this is Rush. And then I immediately just changed that. I didn't want to hear it anymore. He ruined it, so. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally get that because that obviously is, you know, I mean, you're, you're not, you know, I, I, I've heard people say, lots of people feel that way about Giddy's vocals. What I would say, and I'm not trying to change your mind because if you don't like it, you don't like it. Mm-hmm. But what I would say is that if you're ever feeling like, you know, patient and you're thinking, okay, well, I'm going to give a chance to, you mm-hmm. know, like I, I gave a chance to the Blaze albums. I, sure. I, I then, and I think I think you made this point on one of your, I think you made it quite on a, quite a recent show where it's like, you know, by all means, don't like the Blaze albums, but at least listen to them first. Don't just assume that they're going to be bad. Right. And, um, and I would, I would say that it's maybe worth your, you know, if you're on a long journey and you're thinking, I'm not sure what to listen to and I can't listen to the sick, the dead and the dying for the trillionth time today, <laughs> maybe I'll check out something else. If you check out one of the later Rush albums, um, so even the last one they did, Clockwork Angels, which is, which is, um, you know, some people would say that's actually the best Rush album. But if you wanted, like, from the like the latter half of their career, mm-hmm. there's an album they did in about '93 called Counterparts, okay. and it's a, it's a, um, <clears throat> they they'd kind of got themselves out of that phase of being really heavy on the synths, yeah. and they were getting it's it's where they really kicked the guitar back up in the mix. Um, and that's a great album. So it might not, it's not necessarily going to change your mind, but you might be like, oh, not, not everything is terrible. And in fact, Giddy's voice, as he's matured, mm-hmm. he does, he's not, he's not always like, you know, aiming for those high notes. So I'm sorry, we've turned into Iron, yes, Uncle Steve's, <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Steve's Rush Zone for a yeah. minute. So. Well, you know, I, I, it's, 
I might not mind his lower level, his lower register. Kind of like, and I hope I don't strike a chord with you here because I don't want to turn this into Uncle Steve's sound garden zone. But <laughs> that's the same way I feel about. I forgot. It's yeah. There's it, so many levels to your insanity that I totally yeah. forgot about the whole Chris, Chris Cornell thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like his high register, and I'm I, at least I know that now you're saying something a little different. You said that it was something traumatic in my childhood, as opposed to me being the person that just banged my head one too many times. <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah. But okay. So uh, let's see. So that was your, okay. So num- number four, we're going to note number four here. And Kirsty at her number four, mm, bringing up book of souls again. She has one of the songs I like a lot from book of souls. Uh, it definitely wouldn't be the bottom ranked song on there for me. Uh, Shadows of the Valley. It's the one that sounds like it. It, it kind of took the riff from Wasted Years and transposed it a little bit. So, I mean, I mean, they they, they barely even transpose it. It's effectively exactly the same song, isn't it? Um, it and, it's and it's slower. It's slower, and it, it's kind of they they turned it into kind of a creepier riff. I think. I think it's kind of fits. Yeah, I I I agree with you. I really like that song. And um, don't they? Isn't there, isn't in the lyrics, isn't there a reference to Sea of Madness? Yes. Yes. He does say Sea of Madness in there. He does. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, I mean, any song which references the only two good songs on Somewhere in Time gets a, gets a big, you know, (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on this one. I really like Shadows of the Valley. If anyone wondered what Bruno thought of Somewhere in Time. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, uh, number four, Bruno, what do you have at number four? Yeah, we've talked about this earlier, and I'm afraid this is this uh-huh. is where we went off the rails earlier. So I've actually got the title track from 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 Senjutsu. Oh, um, okay. I, I I don't like anything off off Senjutsu, but uh, um, there's there's some there's some, I I was talking about earlier about how I ranked these songs, and I had a list of songs that was like you know it's all right. Yeah. I don't hate it, and so I put Lost in a Lost World in their Darkest Hour. Death of the Celts and the Parchment, and then I would rank the Time Machine and Hell on Earth a bit, bit, um, a bit higher. Okay. So I, you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily, I'm, I'm not going to choose to listen to any of those songs, but I'm not going to skip them either. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, the the title track, I definitely, yeah, I, I would. If, okay. if I if I ever listen to that album again, I'm definitely skipping the title track because I just think it's incredibly oh. boring. Oh wow! Sorry, Steve. <laughs> eh, you know, and I will say on Isle of Avalon, I don't skip it when I listen to it. It, it, it. I don't like. I think the rest of the song is really good, but that 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 weird musical part, I just to me, it just throws the song. Okay, so um, Bruno, Bruno, Bruno. My number four is a song that comes from the final frontier. And you mentioned earlier that I did an episode called The Worst of Bruce Dickinson. And I'll be honest, at one point in time when I did that episode, actually, originally, I used to really like this song. And I still don't hate it. I don't skip it. Originally on that episode, I was going to pick Coming Home for the worst song on that album. Because <laughs> right. I just Coming Home just doesn't really do anything for me. But I realized that the lyrics are very poetic in Coming Home, and and, and I I appreciate it more than I used to. But uh, when the wild wind blows, Bruno, 
it just feels like it doesn't really go anywhere. And the the story isn't really that well written. Like some of the lyrics just aren't that great. It, it, it seems like for Steve Harris to write the lyrics, can't you see it on the TV? <laughs> just seems like, like he was just sitting on the toilet, writing lyrics into his phone or something, you know? Um, do you think that, do you think that Steve Harris has got, like, you know, like in his garden, he's got the Eddie head from like the World Peace Tour or something. Do you think that he's got an Eddie toilet as well? Mm, I don't, you know what? It's a possibility. It's a possibility. I think, um, you know, you know, like uh, in, in, in when they do the song Iron Maiden Live and Eddie rises up from the back of the stage, I mm-hmm. think that when Steve Harris flushes his toilet, that the <laughs> lid of the system lifts up and then like Eddie comes up and waving his arms <laughs> It's looking like kind of low budget, but you're expecting it and you love it anyway. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> they should make those. You know, yeah. I know Steve Harris is a frequent listener to this podcast. So, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so if we see these toilets pop up in the next six months or year, hopefully, hopefully there's a, uh, hopefully there's a, a little portion of that money being donated to the Bruno McDonald fund. So, and, and, and then we can afford to pay Kirsty properly. Yes, exactly, exactly. So yeah, uh, to me, I love the way the song starts when the wild wind blows. I just love it. It's very lush. That, and I know you're not going to like this, but it, it reminds me a little tiny bit of the way somewhere in time is lush. You know, where it's like that kind of and this is just that. You know, it just it's got a very nice feel to it. I, that used to be my, what I had on that I would play on my alarm when my I use my phone for my alarm. I would always have when the wild wind blows as my alarm. I liked it very much for a long time. And with repeated listens, it just, it just kind of wore out on me after a while. I was like, yeah, you know, this, this song's not as great. It, it takes too long to get where it goes. I do enjoy the story, you know, that they take the cyanide tablets and because they, you know, every, they had the earthquake, everyone comes out and they're trying to survive and live on their, you know, together as one and not to quote a Paul Stanley song, by the way. And, uh, but they're all trying to, you know, live together and, and support one another. And these guys couldn't even handle it. They took a cyanide tablet and killed themselves. It, it is definitely a bleak ending and I don't hate the song, but it's, it's def- for the length, it didn't need to be 11 minutes long. They could have accomplished that in about six minutes. So, But I do enjoy listening to it at, at a certain point, so. and I won't skip it. So, There's only uh, there's only one song on my list that I would that I kind of skip from time to time when I listen to that album, and I'm sure you would skip it, but actually you wouldn't even get to that part of the album because you hate it so much. So, um, <laughs> And I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, but we'll get there in a minute. We'll get there in a minute. So Kirsty, Kirsty's number three is a song that um, most people don't like by Iron Maiden because most people don't like the Blaze era anyway. But in the Blaze era, there's one song that's very highly regarded for just not being good. And it's the song that Steve Harris chose to be the opening single from Virtual Eleven, The Angel and The Gambler. So that's her number three. I'll just say this. We're going to talk about that song in a little bit too. So there's no point in talking about it right now. <laughs> so what is your number three, Bruno? I'm um, afraid we're going to stick around in the blaze era. Um, 
So my number three is um, Fortunes of War from The X Factor. Okay. Um, no, that's to from, me, yeah, yeah, X Factor. I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry. sorry. Yeah. There's two really bad epics on The X Factor, and um, one is The Unbeliever, which has got some cool riffs, mm-hmm. but nothing that they haven't done better on other albums. And the vocals on The Unbeliever are really painful. They're like bad chili peppers. Um, but Fortunes of War achieves the amazing feat of being even worse than The Unbeliever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds like a demo. The music is just blah, and the vocals. And I'm not. I'm not dumping on Blaze for the sake of it. The mm-hmm. vocals on Fortunes of War are just awful. So, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Blaze, because as a person, I really like you. You seem like a top bloke, and you had the hardest job in heavy metal. Mm-hmm. Um, Bruce Dickinson, but uh, yeah, I really don't like that song. Okay. I will say, I, I do enjoy the softer bit at the beginning of that song. You know, when he's when he's just singing, like when the music's soft and he's singing soft. But when the music kicks in, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not as big a fan of the of the melodies that they're, they're going with there. I don't really like the chorus a whole lot on that song either. Just fortunes of war, fortunes of war over and over. Um, I also do like the bit though, where they do that. Whoa, whoa. I like that. Um, yeah, it's definitely, um, I can't, I can't argue with that song. It's, it's, uh, I can't argue with you placing it there. So, uh, I don't hate it, but yeah, I don't, I can't argue with you either. So, so there's one that we don't disagree on. That's a first. So, so far, uh, I, you disagreed with my number five and my number four. I disagreed with your number five. <laughs> and what was your number four again? I'm sorry. Uh, Senjutsu. Okay. So I disagree. So, so far we've both disagreed with each other's number four and five. <laughs> and um, I don't know if that trend's going to continue here. Cause I, I don't disagree with you there. And I don't know if you'll disagree with this or not, but going back again to uh, the book of souls, the lo- I believe this is the longest no, no, no. It's not the longest song on the album. Sorry. I've already mentioned that one. That's my number one. This is, this is the longest song. This song is longer, I believe than rhyme of the ancient Mariner. And there's no reason that it needs to be that long. I, I think I've just worked out what you're going to say. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm absolutely astonished. The red and the black, the red and the black. Okay. I, I like, a few moments ago, I was gobsmacked when you said Isle of Babylon because I can I can totally understand why you say Isle of Babylon isn't the best. Yeah. But you know, to have it in your worst, but to have the red and the black. Yeah. That's just weird. Okay. Well, you got to hear my explanation. Yeah, but uh, your explanation is not going to make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, how will that be any different than anything else I've said the whole podcast? <laughs> okay. So, the intro. First of all, the intro and the outro meaningless bass intros that literally have nothing to really do with the song. The rest of it. I don't think I, I don't understand why that's in there. It seems very un Steve Harris like to put that in there. It's almost like a, Hey, look at me moment. Like just look at this strumming I can do on my bass. I saw this song being played live and the crowd just went nuts when he played it. And I was just like, that's, I mean, look, it's probably good. It's probably cool on the bass that he's doing it, whatever he's doing. I just don't like the way it sounds. I just think it's a waste of space on the album. It probably takes up two minutes of the song. So right there, I've already got it cut down to 11 minutes. Um, 
you know, the song, I, I, it, it's got to be about gambling, right? The red and the black. Um, right. This is what I said. And I think musically, outside of the intro and outro, I think the song's fantastic music, musically. The storyline of the song is not very good. Um, the greatness of the music for that, the lyrical story is just drops the ball. And the chorus, you know, I think the chorus is super weak. It's plain. It's boring. It sounds uh, like a bad Bon Jovi chorus. Maybe, maybe I don't know. I don't listen to enough Bon Jovi to know. Um, but once you get past the musical section and then the, where he's singing, and it just goes to about four or five minutes of music, that four or five minutes of music is fantastic. Like I agree. It, it's a great listen. But you know, it, it's just. This song could have been a whole lot better if they would have gotten rid of, like I said, I don't like the chorus. I don't like the intro or the outro on the bass, but musically it's a good song. Other than that, it's, 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 it's a good musical song. I don't like the story very much. Um, funny that gambling is, um, maybe, maybe I should say it like this funny that there's a gambler mentioned in this song. Maybe there's another gambler coming soon. <laughs> Yeah, I actually, I mean, I, I was full of indignation a moment ago because I was just slightly surprised that, that, that but actually, I think you're right, actually. I think I'm, I think I'm going to actually agree with you because uh -oh. you could, double, you, you, you could, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to change my list, but I, I agree with you. you. You could pretty much dump the first half of the song mm -hmm. um, and then you could, you could just get to, you know, those guitar solos are pretty good. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, it's kind of weird that that, um, like you say, it's an incredibly long song mm -hmm. and half of the song which is the best half, in your opinion and in mine, is is the guitar solos. But presumably, Steve Harris, I don't know. Maybe maybe he sat there and told the guys what they what to play. But I, I, I sort of I sort of assume when I'm listening to guitar solos on Iron Maiden songs that that the guitarists write those. Maybe I'm wrong. I would um, I would think that maybe I don't know. That's one question I've always wondered. So okay. Uh, Number two for Kirsty, And listen to this, Bruno. Listen to this. I'm so glad you changed your mind and wanted to agree with me on that. You're going to, you, you might, uh, are you sitting down right now? I am sitting down, Uncle Steve. Do you have a stiff drink handy, possibly? I I have a glass of water because I'm having to work after I finish this episode, but I'm I'm ready. I'm, I, let, let, let's do this. I think, I think you're going to need a stiff drink when you hear this because you... And I agreed on the red and the black. And now Kirsty has joined with us. Her number two is the red and the black. Cool. That is why, that's why we love Kirsty. Yes. Kirstie, she's, she's a, she's a dude, man. We love her. <laughs> now, now the bigger question here, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested. I, I kind of think I know you're number one, but I want to know what's your number two right now. Um, my, my number two is, um, is yet another one from the Blaze era, mm. and I, I, and I'm going to repeat myself because I don't want people to think that I'm dumping on the Blaze era just for the sake of it. Mm -hmm. um, like I said earlier, the Klansman is great. At one point, it was quite close to my top ten, and we talked about this earlier. Sign of the Cross, I don't personally like it, but mm. you know, I'm not going to argue if if you if you tell me it's a great song. Um, but from Virtual Eleven, my number two choice is Don't Look to the Eyes of a Stranger. Mm. Um, the vocals and the, I, do, I do genuinely feel bad about this I feel bad about singling out the vocals 
the vocals are terrible on Don't Look to the Eyes of a Stranger, but but it, but Blaze is not the only one at fault because the music is just really like, will this do? And the lyrics, the lyrics are shocking. They're just one cliche after another. Um, I, I don't know whether Steve was listening to Operation Mind Crime at the time and he thought, oh, Eyes of the Stranger is a good <laughs> doctor. I'll, I'll have that. Uh, and if he and if he did, then you know, I mean, we can't knock anyone for listening to Operation Mindcrime and being inspired by it. But if you're going to do that, at least write a good song to go with it. Um, the only good thing I can say about this is that the guitar solo at the end is okay, but but you're, the the first six minutes of the song are so bad that the thought of sitting through those just to get to an okay guitar solo is just too much. So <laughs> I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry to you. I'm sorry to Blaze. But, yeah, I don't like that at all. I'll say I, I, I do like the song. But, yeah, it's definitely not, you know, that caliber, a great caliber of song. The, I, my favorite bit is the part. Uh, I don't know if you would call it the uh, the bridge section where he kind of starts whispering. You know, like, don't look too, don't look too. I like the build there. I like, I think it's a really cool build because it gets where the drums are like, you know, bat, bat, then it's like, bat, bat. It's like, it gets faster. And it's a cool build, but it doesn't lead to the greatest musical section. Like, it's kind of a, that it's like, but it's just a, it's 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 just yeah it's not that great it's not that great so yeah I can't really fault you for doing that um, and I'm glad you're sitting down Bruno uh, I'm glad you're sitting down because you won't need to be sitting down for this one but uh, uh, I, now I have to say it first I'm gonna just give you Kirsty's number one I'm glad you're sitting down because you and Kirsty just agreed again her number one is don't look to the eyes of a stranger. Okay, cool. So I just wanted right. to, I had to say that since you just said that. So, so my number two is a song that I know you're very familiar with, and I know it's a song you don't like. So I know you're going to be agreeing with me here. My number two song comes from your least, probably your least favorite Iron Maiden album. Well, I don't know. Maybe Sinjutsu is your least favorite album. Uh, but it comes from your least favorite album that I know of in the classic era, Somewhere in Time. And it's by far, in my opinion, the worst song on that album. I'm glad it's long enough that I can put it in here. <sighs> Heaven Can Wait, Bruno, is my number two. <laughs> you know, it's fast-paced. I think the story of the song is pretty good. Um, the pace that Bruce has to sing it, though, is really fast. The chorus, as you mentioned earlier is just soaring and it's just not very good. Um, there is one redeeming part in this song. Uh, the, the sing along part. Whoa. Whoa. That song is, that part's brilliant. I mean, Steve Harris put that in there. That's why that, I think that's why that song got played live so much because people had to be able to sing that, you know, and mm -hmm. he knew that people would sing along with that. I think that's why, but yeah, that's a, that's a brilliant part of us of a not so great song for me. I don't like it. Uh, it's the only classic era song to make my uh, bottom five list. So you agree with that one, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I would say that Heaven Can Wait is a work of genius compared to absolute dross like The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner. Oh, but no. <laughs> it's, it, it's still, you're right, it's incredibly irritating and it's way too long. I'll take The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner any day over Heaven Can Wait. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we need to do a Somewhere in Time episode. Just just have you and me and Kirsty on and listen to you and Kirsty fight. <laughs> No, I mean, I mean, I've said this before. I, I know that I'm in the minority. I mean, like the yeah. fact that they're doing a tour next year based around somewhere in time. Like, yeah. I, I, I know that I'm in the minority, and and I, I really, you know, I felt really bad um, when when you said that you had started to listen to somewhere in time differently because I never, I never ever just because I don't like it doesn't. I'm not going to change my opinion, but I don't want to. I don't want to make you think less of something that you like. And so, you know, I I, re- I really don't like somewhere in time, but but you know, everyone on the planet who's an Iron Maiden fan disagrees with me, and that's why they're doing the tour <laughs> next year. But but I have to say, from my own personal point of view, like they could not have chosen two worse albums to base their set around next year, and like the only, <laughs> the only way they could make that tour next year any less of an attractive prospect is if they said, oh, and yeah, and we're going to get Wolfsbane to open for us. You know, it's just, yeah, I, I just, if someone gave me a free ticket to next year's show, I'd say, oh, that's really kind of you, but no, thank you. <laughs> you know, um, oh gosh, I just lost my train of thought. Um, oh, Bruno, I had a good point to make there. Um, no, oh, I know what you, you said. Uh, it, it's like reading a book. When you, you know, there's always facts in books that you don't know about. Maybe you read something and you go, oh, I didn't have any idea that that was about this or that this, that. But I still liked the album, but it just made me kind of think about, like, it made me kind of put it in its place. Like, okay, you know what? They're, this is where they were as a band. They did just finish a 13-month tour. They probably were wore out. It's obvious when you read Adrian's lyrics on sea of madness and wasted years. You can tell that he was in a place, you know? So, and that, and that, and that tour had something to do with it. So anyways, anyways, uh, but that was the result. And I, I'd still like the album, you know, it's, it's, you know, if I'm ranking the classic era albums, it's not in my top two. So, and it wasn't before either. So, so let's get to our number ones here. Uh, I already gave you Kirstie's number one, which was your number two. Don't look to the eyes of a stranger from Virtual Eleven. Um, what is your number one? Your least. So in other words, the absolute. <laughs> oh no, the absolute worst um, Iron Maiden epic. And you know, it's it's it's. I'm glad I led you in with a song from somewhere in time. Because what is your number one, Bruno? Okay, I mean, if, if, even even if you haven't heard me and Steve discussing this before, we've dropped so many hints on the show that this is where we're going to go. Um, <laughs> so, like, you know, I was going to rate this as the worst one. <laughs> so, of course, we are talking about Alexander the Not So Great. Um, and I'll say this: Is it objectively worse than the Blaze songs that we've talked about just now? It, it, no, it's not. But. Mm-hmm. Those Blaze songs were made by a band that was wounded and was trying to find its feet again. Mm-hmm. And those songs also feature a vocalist that I don't like. So for me, they were always going to have an inbuilt flaw. 
Alexander the Great doesn't have those excuses, except that the band were exhausted after the um, after the World Slavery Tour, mm-hmm. and they were probably. Well, in fact, we know that they were pushed into making an album too soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless of those circumstances, this is, for me, the most boring and useless of the Iron Maiden epics. Um, <laughs> the only positive thing I can say about it, um, and I, I actually felt the, the same way when I was listening to all of these songs again, and I even listened to Alexander the Great like, from start to finish, um, like on To Tame a Land, which is also a dreadful, dreadful song, Bruce Dickinson, <laughs> he, he, he tries really hard to sell the terrible lyrics. And, um, he, ha- you know, To Tame a Land is tough. Um, and uh, Alexander the Great, that's just, <sighs> I don't know. I mean, you'd have to, I don't know. You, I, I think David Coverdale would, would have to, into the conversation at this point but like if you were talking about the worst lyrics that have been written in hard work history hard rock history yeah then then yeah there's going to be lots of david coverdale but <laughs> i would i i think i would put alexander the great at the bottom because with david coverdale you don't ex- you know someone who writes a song like slide it in you're not you're not looking for poetry from him sure sure uh, whereas steve harris who on the you know the albums before Somewhere in Time had proved himself to be, you know, someone who was who was capable of writing really good evocative lyrics, and then on Alexander the Great, uh, he just doesn't. Um, on, on To Tame a Land, I, I I thought when we were compiling this list, I thought To Tame a Land um, would be an absolute shoe in for my bottom five, and I listened to it and I thought, do you know what? It's a terrible song. But the music itself is not bad, and Bruce's delivery of of the lyrics is brilliant. Mm-hmm. So I actually ended up putting To Tame a Land in my all right list. But on Alexander the Great, the music is rubbish. Uh, the lyrics are incredibly uninspired, and the end result is a huge anticlimax for an album that desperately needed a big finish to save it. So you said, you, you had mentioned before that it was a tired band, making a tired album and you referred to this song, I believe as Iron Maiden paint by numbers. Is that right? Uh, Iron Maiden epics by Yeah. Like Steve, it's Steve Harris saying, I have to write an epic because I've written an epic on every album and now I have to do it. So I'll go to the library and get a book about Alexander the great. And it's just, and again, I've got to come back to, you know, we discussed this last time. You, you, you look at the Spotify um, listening figures for this album, and Alexander the Great is way out in front. And obviously, all all those people, i.e., every Iron Maiden fan on the planet, except me, who is looking forward to next year's tour, I would say all of you are, I assume, are um, waiting to hear Alexander the Great. And good <laughs> luck to you, because you know, I mean how amazing is it that after all these years you're finally going to get that and i'm i'm genuinely happy for you it's like if you know it's it's like if kiss changed their set list in the past 30 years and did something different right you know you, you and i would be thrilled even though the rest of the world would be shrugging and going well we don't care so yeah. i i genuinely like in all sincerity no sarcasm i'm genuinely happy that you guys are going to get the show that you want next year but it would just be, that would be the point where I just have to leave the arena and say, I'm out. If there was anything 
needed to push you away from going to that show. It's that Iron Maiden is going to actually play Alexander the Great now. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Uh, I knew that was coming, so uh, it doesn't bother me. I, I, you know, and I'll be honest, Alexander the Great was on my list of top songs. I, I really like it. I like it a lot, even though I, 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 could, I do get the feeling, you know, he, Steve got a formula for writing epics. You know, he did one on Hallowed. And then the next album ends with a long epic type track. Then the next album, which happens to be Somewhere in Time, ends with another epic long track. No, no, Power Slave, sorry. And then the next one ends with, you know, another one. It's, it was like, maybe he felt like he had to, but if they were rushed into this and if that is the case, and I mean, you know, these guys had, you know, Steve Harris and Rod had a time list of what, what was going to happen. We're going to do an album, then we'll tour, take a month off, album, tour, month off. I mean, it was set in stone for a long time the way they were going to do things, which is why they jumped right back into an album when they, you know, after touring for over a year, you kind of need a little bit more of a break. So that makes sense. You do. And also, like, again, I'm not trying to change anyone's mind. And I'm I'm not saying I'm right about this, but I will say... You know, I, I saw Maiden for the first time on that tour. And um, by that point, I'd loved them for you know, four years, I guess, because I, ca- I came on board. I, you know, I, I'm not going to say, oh, I was there at the beginning because I was mm-hmm. a little kid. I wasn't there at the beginning. You know, I, I came on to them at the point where where most other people came on, which was Number of the Beast. Yeah. So, you know, Number of the Beast, I stuck with them through Peace of Mind, which I'm not a huge fan of. Then they do Power Slave, then do Live After Death. It's all great stuff. And so by the time that I get to see them live for the first time in 86, I'm really amped for it. You know, they're, they're promoting an album that I don't, that I'm not keen on, but nonetheless, oh, here I am getting to see Iron Maiden for mm-hmm. the first time. And yeah. they, it was, it was really underwhelming. And um, it, it really felt, it felt massively like they were going through the motions and some of that is just to do with the the very particular circumstances because they had this weird thing well it's not weird actually it's admirable but they had this thing in england where they were only going to play theater-sized venues Mm -hmm. and um they didn't want to play arenas they certainly didn't want to play stadiums which they were probably by that point easily capable of selling out yeah so when i saw them i saw them at the um the Hammersmith Odeon in London, mm-hmm. which seats around 3,000 people. Oh, wow. And um, because the demand was so great for them at that point, they did something insane. They did something like eight nights. I mean, yeah. like, you know, we, we could check this out. So they're doing like eight nights at the same venue, mm-hmm. which is a terrible, terrible idea. You know, no, ba- no band should do that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was really obvious when we were watching that show. It was very hard to generate for them to generate any kind of excitement and the only the only bit of that show that i really look back on that's kind of stuck in my memory is when um uh dave and adrian did a um they they, they did a combined solo spot mm-hmm. and they had like, these kind of spacey lights around them and at one point they played a bit of uh the song walking in the air from the film the snowman and and that was really beautiful actually but the rest of the show was just completely uninspired. And I remember at one point, Bruce sitting down on the monitors and he was he gave this kind of long spoken introduction to wasted years about, I can't even remember what it was about, but I guess it was about going on tour. And at the moment that he sat down on the monitors to start talking, I remember everyone just groaning. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And so I really don't look, there's, there's nothing about that era, apart from Sea of Madness and Wasted Years, there's nothing about that era that I look back fondly on at all. But, you know, what I will say, obviously, is that then two years later, they did Seventh Son and, you know, re- regained their position as one of the greatest bands in, in history. Yeah, yeah. I, I just pulled this up, by the way, and I'm counting, I see they did, they did October, this is Hammersmith, they did October 12th, October 10th, October 9th, October 8th, October, well, wait, wait, 8, 9, 10, 12. It shows, it only showing four nights here that they did. Maybe they skipped the nighters. No. Well, yeah, it only shows that they did four nights on Power Slave. Or, oh, you know what? That's Power Slave. I'm sorry. I'm looking at the wrong note. Never mind. So they did that. They did Hammersmith Odeon uh, four nights on Power Slave Tour. So they may have done even more. I'll, I'll have to look that up later. But. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and that's good in the sense that they wanted to retain their connection with the fans. And, I, you know, I, I appreciate that. You know, it's like, you know, if, if you're given the choice between seeing a band in a small venue or a big one, it's like you're always going to say a small venue. But in that case, it definitely didn't work on their, in their favor. And I think, um, you know, I don't know whether it was – it was probably also a commercial decision to then – go bigger after that but that was the last tour that they did that because then on the next tour you know they they played uh they headlined the castle donnington show for the first time and then they and then they 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 went up to arenas after that which which is fine you know that that means that you got you had six years to watch iron maiden in theaters and yeah that that that's cool but it it wasn't from a creative point of view it was not a good decision yeah you were uh yeah i think you said uh I found it again. Well, where was it? One, two, three. Sorry, I just had it pulled up. and lost it here. So they did three. Uh, let me get to the bottom there. Three, four, five, six. Six nights in 86 at Hammersmith. Right, yeah. Wow. I mean, that's still too long. I mean, that's a lot, that's yeah. The, yeah, the, the other interesting thing about those shows was, was that they had Paul Sampson's band called Empire supporting them. Yeah. And that's one of the you would think, oh, well, this is a real, I mean, it's it's not exactly, you know, it's not even remotely approaching the scale of when you had Megadeth and Metallica on the same scale, but it's like, it's kind of interesting that yeah. they threw a lifeline out to Paul Sampson sure, and said, oh, sure. you can come and do these shows with us, but actually that, his band was appalling, you know, really like <laughs> amazingly unmemorable, so. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, sorry, 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 Paul, wherever you are. He's, he's, <sighs> he's passed away now, hasn't he, Paul Sampson? I'm not sure. I don't think he listens, though. I don't think he listens. So. <laughs> yeah, Steve, Steve Harris listens to every show, but, yeah. but whatever life he's in now, Paul Sampson doesn't. So. Right, <laughs> right, right. Uh, so, so my number one is is probably I've already alluded to it. it, it Kirsty already had it. Uh, you didn't mention it, but it's funny. Uh, you know, your number one is from um, Virtual Eleven. My number one is also from Virtual Eleven, but it's the incredibly long. Angel and the Gambler, another song about gambling on this list. I think, you know, I've never thought this was a great song, but I kind of think the song sounds a little bit fun and upbeat. And the chorus is not great by any stretch. But if they only did the chorus a few times and then just moved on to the verses, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, whatever, end the song, however... But there's roughly four and a half to five minutes of Blaze saying, don't you think I could save you? Don't you think I could save you? Don't you think I could save your life? And 
this is 100% on Steve Harris. Uh, there's a little keyboard thing at the start that's very un-Iron Maiden-esque. Although, it's 100% Iron Maiden because it is on an Iron Maiden album. So anyone that says, oh, that's not Iron Maiden. Yeah, it's Iron Maiden. <laughs> it's all the way through. Uh, the lyrics aren't good. Steve, just, you know, Steve should have learned, you know, before he wrote the lyrics to red and the black, he should have thought back to this. The other thing, the thing that also makes this so bad is because Steve Harris forced his hand to make sure that they use this as the lead single from virtual 11. You had future real, which is a three minute song. It sounds like it would fit on peace of mind. It's very quick. It sounds just like an Iron Maiden song. Like when you think of Iron Maiden, if you think of the Trooper, it's very Trooper-esque. It's quick. It's to the point. But no, we have to release the Angel and the Gambler. It's long. It's got this dumb keyboardy thing at the beginning. It's got this really, really, this chorus that we're going to do and run into the ground, which you know, Steve Harris does tend to do that with choruses at times. And if you like the chorus, like if you like dreaming in black and white, hey, it's great. <laughs> if you like whatever, if you like, uh, you know, anything that's a long chorus, you know, Heaven Can Wait. Yeah. Another chorus that's driven into the ground. Oddly, my number two. Um, and and I just mentioned your number five, driven into the ground choruses. He, he drives choruses into the ground, but if it's good, hey, perfect. This is not a good chorus, it, especially five minutes of it over and over and over and over. And then there's a part where it even break. There's a breakdown section where it's like blaze really quietly. Don't you think I could save you? It's like Steve Harris must have thought he was on to. I have two theories. Steve Harris either thought this was an incredible song and he completely missed it which he hasn't done very often in his career. He's had way more, like you said, way more hits than misses. He either thought he had a really big thing on his hands here or, and this is an interesting thing I've never really heard many people talk about other than me. He might, or, or, or and so I pose this question to you. Did he think this was an incredible song that had to be the first single or was he self-sabotaging? Um. I don't think he was at all. Um, to, to me, my take on this song is um, it, it's, uh, but by Steve's own admission, it's an homage to the band UFO. And mm. um, uh, it, it, when Steve was talking about this song, the two bands that he mentioned were The Who and UFO. Like, I like both of those bands, and I can't really <laughs> hear any trace really of... Um, the, the, the only, the only, um, the, the only trace of the who that I can hear in this is that the angel and the gambler itself, as a title, is um, is quite who esque. Like okay. there's a song on Quadrophenia. Um, I, can't, I can't remember what it's called. On Quadrophenia, there's a song that's called like the, the I think it's called like the Godfather and the Bellboy or something. So <laughs> in, in, in that sense. You know, I guess that's where the Who element was coming in. But but really, this sounds like a UFO song. So if you don't like UFO, then or, well, I don't I don't know whether you've listened to UFO or not. I mean, I, I, mean, I guess you've heard like Doctor Doctor. Yeah, about I've heard that one times. Um, I, I, when I was a kid, I, I I loved UFO, and this is very much um, what UFO were doing in kind of the their heyday in like, you know, from about 77 until, until the early eighties. And 
you know, the vocals, the rhythm and those keyboards that you really don't like. It actually reminds me when, when I was listening to the songs again for this episode, it actually reminds me of a very specific UFO song. And like, it's one of these frustrating things where I can't put my finger on it. Mm-hmm. Like if there's any UFO fans, UFO fans out there, they're going to know what I mean. Cause at first I thought it was a song called shoot, shoot. And now I don't think it is. Okay. So if anyone, if anyone out there is a, you know, a big maiden fan and also a big UFO fan, tell me, which song they were stealing for this one because otherwise it's going to drive me mad. But yeah, um, no, I, 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 I really like, I really like the angel and the gambler. I, I wouldn't skip it and I, I would rank it nowhere near the worst. Okay. Well, it does make a little more sense now why I don't like it as much. Cause it, if you're saying it sounds like the who and UFO, the only songs I like by the who I like them whenever wasp does them <laughs> like the real me is fantastic and it's a who song, but I don't like the who at all. So yeah, I, I shouldn't say that. I do like, there's a song. Was it love rain on me or something like that? Whatever that love is. Rain yeah. yeah, I do like that. Um, but, uh, and I do like that one song um, where he does that real big scream. And then he says, meet the new boss. Same as the old boss. Like I like that bit, but I generally don't like, like the pinball wizard and stuff like that. No, nah, I just don't like them at all. But, more, more for you to, more to, for you to feed on there. But uh, um, UFO, I just they don't really. I like I like Doctor Doctor for obvious reasons, but uh, they, they don't really do. I've tried them a little bit. They don't do a lot for me anyway. But either way, but um, so we only so you know uh, it's amazing to think of this, Bruno. We agreed more than we disagreed on this, on these two lists. We did, and and what's even more remarkable is that with a couple of really glaring exceptions, that Kirsty was like more or less on the same wavelength as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought I thought she was going to be, you know, really mad with both of us, and <laughs> I, th- you know, she's she's still gonna she's still gonna be rolling her eyes, and uh, she's still gonna be thinking that we're basically, you know, silly boys who should shut up talking about what, but um, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, I, that's cool. I've really enjoyed this actually, and what I've also really enjoyed is actually just um, revisiting all this stuff. Even, even if yeah. the end result was, oh, like I don't want to hear that song again, I'm really sure. glad that I had like a good reason to go back and listen to that stuff, and also, you know, to be to be surprised by um, stuff like the Klansman or or you know, e- even the Angel and the Gambler. You know, to to, to listen to these things again and go. Oh, actually, you know, I'm I'm glad I gave this stuff a second chance. It, in in that spirit, I guess I should make some kind of commitment to at some point listening to Senjutsu again, and maybe I'll come back on the show in a year's time and say, do you know what? It, it's grown on me, yeah. and I was wrong. And and I and I would be, I would genuinely be very glad to do. If that happens, I would genuinely be very glad to come back and say, you know, I've listened to it again and I'm wrong. Um, but, but but in the meantime, you know, I I, I just I, I want to say thank you to you for for, and this has been like a recurring thing since I started listening to your podcast. Is that uh, you know Iron Maiden went from being a band that I kind of took for granted but didn't necessarily listen to that often to being a band that I now actively want to listen to. That's so you've cool. really you've you've kind of really reignited my passion for the band. So. Thank That's, you very much. Hey, you're welcome. And and 
you know, I was, I was going to say, if you decide to do the, if we do end up doing something with Senju, so like maybe Matt will listen to it at that point too. And we can have him on and he can actually, he still hasn't heard it. <laughs> so, but, um, you know, he's got, he's got a, a pretty good reason for not hearing it yet, but it's, uh, maybe one day he'll, he'll hear it and, and that would be fun. But yeah, I wanted to say, I appreciate you coming on. I mean, we've been on the phone for a long time and I always, you're one of my favorite people to have on because you've got strong opinions and you back your opinions up with how you, your facts, you don't, you don't just say, Oh, that sucks. That's the word. That's garbage. I hate, I hate people saying that kind of stuff. It's like, look, if you back your opinions up and you're civil about it, I don't have a problem with it. And even though you and Kirsty are way off on dream of mirrors, uh, but yeah, I, I always, I always love, I like having you on, uh, we're gonna have to get you back on, uh, you know, sooner than later, because I don't, I, I, I want you to be on the show more, more often than I have you. So, uh, so thank you very much for taking the time and coming on to do it. This is a lot of fun. I agree. Okay. And I also want to say, I mean, uh, we're, we're recording this just before Christmas and I'm not sure exactly when you're going to put this out, but I hope that everyone listening out there, um, has a really amazing holiday season um and i hope um i hope 2023 is just i hope it's fantastic for all of you indeed i agree thank you sir Well, there you have it. I hope that you enjoyed listening to my opinions. I hope you enjoyed listening to Bruno's opinions. I'm sure that his were probably a little harder to swallow. (laughs) No, I love having Bruno on the show. I really do. He's a lot of fun. He's a lot of fun to chat with. We get on the phone and we, we talked for hours. Uh, I'm very appreciative that he spent the time to do it because like I said, I always enjoy having him on. He's just a lot of fun. So on behalf of myself, on behalf of Bruno, on behalf of Kirsty, from Iron Maiden, from Eddie, and from the boys, good night.